musicals if you said fuck no to musicals boy have we got an episode for you and greg <laughs> how about that theme song how about that movies for when theme song uh might be one of the best movie or movie podcast related pieces of audio ever recorded who recorded that uh i don't know do you do you know who it was i feel like you might know a guy it was a talented artist named john wasson john wasson john wasson Boy, does that name sound familiar. More on that later. <gasps> Denny, what are we doing here? You, 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 you already said no to musicals, so what are we here to talk about today? We're talking about movies for when you want music, but not a musical. Which, if you're me and Greg, with the exception of a few select musicals, I don't know, That's on right. my end, there's like one or two that I like. Um, but No, we're on the same page. Yeah, We're also here for something you don't even know about, Greg. Ooh. It's time for the official drink reveal of the mug that I'm drinking out of. Greg, why don't you describe this to the listeners, what you're seeing? I'm seeing an orange straw going into... All right, further from the camera, Denny. Further, I can't see. What looks like a cobbler's tool <laughs> slash... <laughs> mid 18th century stapler Denny <laughs> please help it is a Nautilus submarine oh, ride from, uh, vehicle from, from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea I was gonna say the other thing oh from, from say the other thing I'll give it to you uh, Atlantis no Trader Sam's Grog Grotto at the Disney's Polynesian Resort that's right I packed it up and brought it back to the crib I'm drinking out of a Disney Resort, novelty-sized, ridiculously non-functional, souvenir submarine ride vehicle tinky, tiki mug. And I just wanted to the, show Greg the, on the air. You, you let the straw go, and it is laying down at a 10-degree angle. Like, it's almost flat. Like, that's not meant to be drunk out of. At, at the restaurant, they give you, like, a two-foot-long straw, so you can put it on your table and sit in your chair and drink. Okay. <laughs> Should have taken the straw with you too, buddy. Yeah. Um I've I've got a glass. It has beer in it. Cool. You don't have as much uh as much pizzazz as I do, but a drink's a drink. Yeah. A comfortable drink is a drink. But I just wanted to share since we did a whole very Denny centric episode about my trip to Disney World, and honestly I think this is a... This is a very Greg-centric episode. We're in Greg's wheelhouse today, and I'm excited I about it. I feel like we're on equal turf, especially with you saying, you know, you've only got a couple musicals that you True. enjoy. Uh, we can talk about those on another episode, because I think I know what one of them is. Ooh. Do you want to guess think, now? Do you want to guess uh, now? Yeah, I want to guess now. I think it's the one we all saw together with your wife for her birthday. It was La La Land. Nah, that's mediocre at best. Really? Yeah, okay. I, didn't, I didn't love it. 
I liked it. I I liked it fine. I uh, I wouldn't wait in line for it though. That's all I'm saying. I wouldn't wait in line for any musical, so it's got my highest marks. <laughs> I was like, this is gonna, yeah. I was like, this is gonna suck, but I'll do it for Vanessa. And I was like, oh, that was actually a good time. Yeah, it was actually uh, it was actually my birthday, believe it or not. Oh, whoops. I just uh, I just wanted to go to a movie at the Alamo Draft House, and everyone was buzzing about La La Land, so I chose that. Um, yeah, this is going to be an interesting episode. Uh, I, I know next to nothing about music. I I mostly listen to music that my um, Audify Spay. I don't want to say it again. Uh, algorithm shows me or music I heard in movies or music my friends told me about. I'm not saying I don't like music. Everybody does, but. Uh, I'm not a live shows guy. I don't have a particular passion or like follow any bands uh, other than Seren because I went to high school with their bassist, but that's about it. Um, Greg, what about you? I don't know, man. I was I like music. I'm wearing a shirt of a band right now. Hmm. They're not they're not paying me, so uh, <laughs> I, I was I was in band in high school, so I know some stuff. But I don't know. I I generally listen to music all day i'll go to a concert i haven't been to one in years but you know things have changed in the world mm -hmm. so that makes sense yep um what three movies are we doing today greg work all right our three movies for when you want music but not a musical uh denny selected this is spinal tap fabulous movie yep. i picked whiplash which is my number five out of my top five favorite movies of all time and the audience selected High Fidelity. Specifically um, Don Denham, who made the best Facebook comments. Thank uh, you, Don. Thank it you, was hilarious you, and full of puns. If you make good <laughs> Facebook comments in the future, you may get to choose the movie. Oh, yeah. That's right. No, but I think it's a cool, it's a cool trio of movies, or at least I uh, initially thought that when I was making my housekeeping notes. Uh because uh it touches on three different aspects of music like this is spinal tap is a spoof of the music industry whiplash is about the pressure of making music at a high level and high fidelity well it claims to be about liking music but i wouldn't say that that submarine drink looks delicious um denny summarize the plot of this is spinal tap for us that's the movie we're going to talk about first today yes uh this is spinal this is spinal tap is a mockumentary about a star fading heavy metal butt rock band um, that has been all around the world and loves to be controversial and it's about one of their sad little tours kind of at the end of their run and it is hilarious in every way it's uh, Rob Reiner Christopher Guest and all the gang and they're doing what they do best which is make hilarious mockumentaries <laughs> dude uh, I'll get this out of the way now. Uh, now and in the future, just assume that if a movie came out in the 80s, that I haven't seen it. So Ooh. this is my first time watching it. Mine too, mine too. Oh, no way. I, kinda, yeah. I, th I thought you had uh, watched it before. No, I uh, I love Christopher Guest's later work. Um, I, I, I love uh, Waiting for Guffman and Best in Show specifically. I think they're hilarious. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. No, but I, I'd actually never really watched This is Spinal Tap because I thought due to my lack of like prowess in the music industry, it wouldn't really be for me. And I was very wrong. It is 
It's yeah. hysterical. I've been meaning to watch it for years. I just I just never really got around to it. It wasn't an urgent priority, and it should have been. Yeah, me too. And it was surprise hit of the episode. Like I I only ever hear good things, and I was like, yeah, I was even still pleasantly surprised by how how fun it was. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean. It's a movie with just rapid-fire jokes to the point that you could never possibly catch them on one watch. Like, I already want to go back and watch it again just to, like... <laughs> I'm sure I missed jokes because I was laughing. Like, oh, I bet, yeah. <laughs> so many just, like... You know, I, I, I often refer to, like, the airplane genre of, like, joke-a-minute comedies. This is, like, joke-a-second. Joke-a-millisecond. Like, they're just, yeah. like everything is like laugh out loud funny throughout the whole movie it is uh it is one of my favorite comedies i have watched probably ever to be honest it's a really 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 great comedy yeah this was um exactly what i needed (coughs) just like the exhaustion of the mockumentary genre lately Mm. especially on tv like Mm -hmm. Shows that are fine, you know, like Office and The Office and Parks and Rec are just kind of like, they kind of drove that genre into the ground, Mm -hmm. more or less. Then you had, like, shows that were sort of in the same style, like Modern Family, but, like, frankly, weren't really trying to be mockumentaries. It was like... Yeah, that always pissed me off. They don't explain why the characters are talking to the camera. It's scripted television with little segments where characters talk to a camera, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense it's lazy it's lazy as hell to just like if you want to know your character's thoughts just have them tell them to the camera that's so ah, whatever honestly no whatever no hate for modern family it's something that's always bugged me about that show i actually like it it just always yeah it's a fun show i I really like it but yeah yeah, that part just if you removed all those scenes where people talk into a camera probably be a better show honestly i a hundred percent agree uh I was going to ask you what you thought about the mockumentary genre, so we're really on the same wavelength, and one of my oh, thoughts yeah. was like, dude, the fact that this genre has been done to death, just beating a dead horse with mockumentaries right now, um, and this was, I, I have no idea if it was the first, it's definitely one of the first, you know, like, it really, mm-hmm. like, this is what, 1983? 84. 84, and it is still one of if not the best mockumentary ever made and it really wasn't it didn't have a template to follow um i actually made a note that said hey greg this is all the cool things that you said the country bears was what you were (laughs) what you were thinking of (laughs) when you said they were were, they were satirizing nothing and spoofing the get the band back together genre it was this Uh is spinal tap all of those things you said apply to spinal tap it is better than country bears i'll give it that that was gracious of you greg that was big of you to admit (laughs) i'm growing as a person man Oh man, I I don't know how we're gonna move the dialogue alone or, or along because I have no notes for this movie, like no criticisms, nothing to really tweak. I've just like I don't know what to say other than it was groundbreaking and hilarious, and every single thing they did landed, and I could just talk more about that. 
but I don't have a lot to, like, really add to the discourse other than running through a laundry list of things I love. Yeah, I really don't have any negatives, particularly. I I don't think I found it as, like, laugh-out-loud funny as maybe you did. It's For me, it's kind of like Wet Hot American Summer, where, like, I know it's funny, I know what I'm seeing is funny, and I'm not, like, really laughing about it like while i'm watching it but like talking about it later i'm like yeah that was funny and i'll laugh even more like it's it's such a great movie to talk about and it's it's yeah you're saying the originality of it and ah man setting the template that i wish other movies and shows had followed a little bit more closely (laughs) yeah no and i was cracking up like i was cracking the fuck up like dude losing it like a hyena in my house like i laughed so hard at this i did have to pause a couple times i thought (laughs) well first of all the only uh critique i do have uh they only crank their amps up to 11 the country bears made it to 12 so country bears are they really that groundbreaking country bears through they're living in the house that this is spinal tap built with that joke okay Mm -hmm. they're living Mm -hmm. in the house that spinal tap built yeah. Yeah. Fred Betterhead, go thank Christopher Guest. I don't know how to do an impression of Fred Betterhead. <laughs> do you think he listens? Absolutely. He's just sitting there collecting dust <laughs> in some collector's house next to the Rockafire explosion um, <laughs> cast. Well, I hope this is some form of solace to him that if his collector owner is a listener they finally found someone who adored his work in you greg (sighs) that's right and hey uh did you post the pictures of you did the country bears attraction when you went to disney did you post those pictures on our facebook page uh no i haven't posted them yet and i actually did take a video of vanessa writing it um and let me just tell you i don't know what happened because usually that country bears attraction is like just sad honestly at this point the crowd was hyped people were like no way clapping their hands stomping their feet vanessa and i had just come back from getting this uh this tiki mug that i'm drinking out of at a really cool bar so we uh we had a little extra uh a little extra honey in our systems and it was just (laughs) it was just a banger of a show from the bears man um, if the movie had been anything like that, I would have been singing its praises. Um, well, you should have been less sober. And surrounded by more <laughs> families and kids that were hooting and hollering. I'll have you know I was not sober when I watched The Country Bears, because <laughs> I love myself. And I would, my, never, I would never just raw dog reality for that movie. Mine either. Listen, man. I want to just real quick before we get into like specifics about Spinal Tap. Mm-hmm. First of all, back to Spinal Tap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those uh, guys. I think the trick to a good mockumentary, like what we're talking about with Modern Family, the trick to a good mockumentary is making everything that is being filmed seem real. Yes. That's why there's never a second in this movie where anyone's like talking into a lens at all. Everyone's, and this is one of the <laughs> one of the, my favorite sets of jokes that this lends to everyone's talking to rob reiner who is in the movie pretending to be a creator of a rockumentary which is his intro to this movie is hilarious just on point talk about making it seem real 
how many dumb like school videos have you watched that opened with something like that you know like the the teacher pulls out the cart with the vcr yeah like oh didn't see you come in there like talk about making it seem real to the to your credit probably noticed that you have a penis i'm here to talk to you (laughs) you noticed i have a penis too oh god stop noticing it go to therapy everybody so (laughs) rob reiner is playing a director of a rockumentary and every conversation that he like every time you're having one of those look at the camera conversation moments they're talking to rob reiner and he's in the shot doing something funny Mm -hmm. like nigel the guitarist he's like here hold this real quick and rob reiner is just holding his lit cigarette for the rest of the scene (laughs) there's a scene where the the drummer is like in the bathtub with a hairnet and rob reiner's just sitting on the down toilet seat just like sitting there having a chat with him and he's wearing like a, a hairnet <laughs> smoking a cigarette in the back yes. just chatting about playing music um one of my favorite moments like that is when they're doing the it goes to 11 scene that is iconic mm-hmm. um when rob reiner asks uh christopher guest well couldn't you just make tin louder and Christopher Guest pauses with this look on his face that basically says, like, it is clear he has never even thought about that. <laughs> and then just repeats, mine goes to 11. Mine goes to 11. <laughs> it's, it's clear that he has never even considered just buying an amp that can go louder at and it just seems so genuine and authentic while they're doing these like absurdly stupid things like these crazy stupid dumb things it's so good like the 30 guitars one of them like no no you can't play it i don't play it don't touch it stop looking at it he's just like oh okay yeah i'll stop no no i won't look at it yeah they they were improving like all of this too like it's oh yeah all improvised um they were given some money to write a script and they were like we don't want to use a script and the funders were like you have to make a script so they made like a short film as a proof of concept of what they wanted to do and mm-hmm. they were like oh we get it have some money go do whatever you want and they i'm did. glad they got it yeah, i'm so <laughs> glad they got it because it worked it was... better this way i wonder how much was on the cutting room floor if they were just like getting into character turning the cameras on and just riffing like there's got to be so much great stuff on the dvd extras like that outdoor interview where it's the band members all of them in a group kind of talking about everything like towards the beginning of the movie Mm -hmm. like that that scene has there has to be like 45 minutes of footage oh just saying absolutely it's they're so funny Dude, one of one of the biggest surprises for me was uh michael mckean who plays the uh, lead singer with the blonde hair yeah, lead yeah. guitar he's um the first thing i saw him in or like really recognize him from is better call saul mm-hmm. where he plays like a very very serious character he's an incredible actor in that show he's like one of those characters that's like you hate him but he's kind of right he's like Mm -hmm. he's the resistance to a lot of Saul Goodman's actions in the show like whether right or wrong and then he's got his own set of problems he's like such an incredible actor in that show that I did not see him possibly I saw he was in this movie 
And I was like, oh, he's going to be one of the side characters. I did not see him carrying this so well and with such comedic <laughs> value. It's, it's just, he's amazing in it. Oh, he's dude. so funny. He's a, he's a 10 out of 10. Everyone was a 10 out of 10 in this movie. Even, like, quiet background characters nailed it. Um, on that note, I, I also, in terms of other notable actors showing up... Um, dude, I popped huge for Fred Willard when he when he popped up yes, on screen. Yes, oh. dude. And it was like the only time I've seen him when he didn't look exactly 45, ever. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's one of those, like, I've been in my mid-40s forever people, and he looked uh, like late 20s in this, and it was really jarring. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rest, rest in peace to a legend. But you recognize that voice, like, right away. Oh, absolutely. He's just so good at being the lame dad, which is exactly what he was in this movie and is... Yeah, the lame lieutenant or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, like, the, the square. He's so good at being the square. Um, mm -hmm. and But also being this, like, not annoying square, this endearing, hilarious square that you're like, I get it, I have an uncle like that, he's totally lame, always makes stupid jokes and i just <laughs> love him you know like everybody yeah. has like a guy like that that they're just like what a freaking goof and Dude. look at him with their like phone holster on their belt and damn do i love him <laughs> you know like it's just <laughs> hands on his hips just kind of doing dad poses <laughs> yeah. Dude, he's such a treat in this movie man yeah. like he's one of the only actors because he was in best in show mm -hmm. also like he's one of the only he's probably the only guy that I would say he needs he's like typecasted for mockumentaries. Yeah, yeah. Cuz he's just got this like sense of humor and like it's such a rare blend of like talent and presence mm -hmm. that like fits the mockumentary feel like so so well. Oh, yeah. Like I've never seen anyone possess that. Oh, yeah. Rest in peace to a legend. Seriously. Have you seen him in uh in Waiting for Guffman? No, I haven't. Oh, we've got to find an excuse to do that because he is movies just... for when you're waiting for something. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna do waiting for Guffman, uh, waiting, and mm -hmm. uh, can't hardly wait. There we go. There we go. All right, next episode. Next episode. Oh no, we've got we've got <laughs> no, we something got... much better in store for the next episode. There's a backlog. That's a that's the second tease. Second Ooh. tease of the episode. Second tease. Ooh. Are, are we next? doing that? Are we doing that next week? Is that official? The thing, Wait, which one? The, the the thing we talked about. Is it three letters? Yes. Yes. Okay. Cool. All right. Cool. I'm free this weekend. Um. Yeah. Um. We've talked about their their verbal comedy, and uh, I think what we need to talk about in addition to that, and this is what really makes this the complete package for me as a comedy that like really shows like. This wasn't just funny guys fucking around. Their physical comedy in this movie is top notch. Like, with, like, when he's doing the solos and he's, like, playing the violin with his foot. And then he's like, oh, wait, and then tunes it. <laughs> or the scene where the guy's trying to get out of the pod is a master class in Dude. physical comedy it's the blowtorch and everything it's so funny it's that's what I'm, that i was just like losing my shit like scream laughing it was so good <laughs> and so that like to me that shows that they like uh they weren't just turning the cameras on and being funny and cutting out 45 minutes of useless dialogue and keeping one joke 
that they mm-hmm. they also had the ability to do these like fantastically planful things that are just like meticulously timed and choreographed and make them seem mm-hmm. natural another great example is the tiny stone hinge dude i was about to say that i was gonna say my favorite example of that was the oh, tiny stone hinge. so good so they're trying to do what was what was what was their reason for wanting to do Stonehenge on stage or like have a statue or um I think they were saying that it was like their best production value they've ever done like kind of referencing a past tour mm-hmm. is kind of the vibe I got um and uh <laughs> they put inches they draw a little diagram with 18 inches instead of 18 feet so the set designer makes an 18 inch <sighs> Like just one piece of Stonehenge with three rocks, <laughs> and it gets lowered on the stage in a spotlight. Oh my god, it's so funny! It's so funny. Which, by the way, the Stonehenge song fucking slapped. Like, oh my god, yeah, it was a Dude, great song. Let's get back on theme here. These songs are awesome. Yeah, I think uh, they're great. Tonight I'm Gonna Rock You Tonight was on Guitar Hero, right? Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. I think it was on Guitar Hero 2. I don't remember, but I believe it. I remember playing it, and maybe if I'm Mandela-ing this, Mandela-ing this tell me. Um, someone in the comments of the Apple podcast, please don't open that computer. Um, some, like, don't tempt it. Um, I remember playing that on like Guitar Hero 2 and having no idea that it was like from a comedy movie from a fake band i thought it was just like a real ass <laughs> classic rock song because it like they just they get the tone of what they're spoofing and because mm-hmm. of that it uh it comes across as like a love letter instead of like a, a fuck you you know like it comes across as like we clearly love what we're making fun of and that's yeah. why we're making fun of it because it's also ridiculous and we can acknowledge the ridiculousness of like glam rock in the 80s <laughs> yeah so good Dude, did you notice that on that um i don't know what the name of the song was but like big bottom girls how they like big bottom girls that yep. song yeah did you notice that they're all playing bass <laughs> no i didn't they're all playing a bass guitar <laughs> i'm like 90 percent certain but i was like oh that guy was the bass player but he has a bass oh they all have bass guitars i think Oh man, I uh I'm not joking. I added several of their songs to my current playlist just mm-hmm. cuz I was like I'm going to want to hear this in the car on the way to work. Like this mm-hmm. this is going to put me in a good mood in the morning. Uh, so good. Um I wanted to acknowledge that a uh, notable wrestler Chris Jericho stole a bit from this movie in his WCW career. Uh oh! Call him out, Denny. Oh no, he calls himself out. He he's oh, he, damn. Chris Jericho basically. I thought we were about to start a beef. Oh no, he has a glam rock band. Like he he's the lead singer of Fozzy, and they're basically like yeah 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 eighties dad rock. Um, I do I do know this about Chris Jericho. Yeah, you know honestly, I went to one of their shows when I was in Canada. It was at a bar. I went in there thinking Fozzy kind of sucked, and I came out being like. I knew none of those songs, and that was a hell of a show. Like, I had a really good time, and I literally just went because 
Chris Jericho was there, and that was a fucking blast. So Fozzie mm-hmm. is chill with me for that. Um, but no, but he he loves this movie, and uh, he was spoofing Goldberg's entrance, where he uh, Goldberg like comes out. They they start the camera in the locker room. His music's playing. The crowd's hype. And a security guard knocks on his door and says, like, Goldberg, it's time. And then they film him surrounded by security walking from his locker room to the entrance ramp. And Jericho spoofed it one time where he did the bit from this where they couldn't find the entrance to the arena. And they oh, just yes. keep going in the wrong door. <laughs> that was one of my favorite bits, too. Oh, it's just so good. So we go... Is, so... <laughs> We're going this way? They're just because lost backstage. And that one guy's no help. Yeah. <laughs> Instructions he gives are just not helpful. Oh my god, it's so good. And the Jericho bit is good. YouTube it, kids. It's from uh, WCW and I uh, I want to say 98. Uh, check it out. But, um, man, I loved just how much comedy christopher guest could get out of a subtle facial expression did you did you notice that like he could Mm -hmm. just like like purse his lips and it would be like hilarious (laughs) like he's so good oh man you know greg Hmm. do you have anything else to throw out there about this because i just i could just keep quoting it and saying it's funny but I'd rather people just go watch it instead of hear me repeat its jokes. That's fair. Uh, yeah, if you do decide to go watch this, look for one of the mimes. Or Billy Crystal. <laughs> no way! Billy Crystal is one of the mimes. No That's way! Right. Yeah. I love the mimes! That's crazy! <laughs> That's <just> so funny. <laughs> They're in there for like 20 seconds, and you're like, they stand out. Oh, man. Every joke stands out so well. I uh, um, I feel like we should thank these guys for Flight of the Concords. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Something I've always loved about Flight of the Concords is that they don't really parody any songs, but they'll make a song parodying a genre. You know, like just like each mm-hmm. song is like a spoof of a concept. And this was totally a movie with like no specific we're making fun of this song and Weird Al style changing the lyrics. No disrespect. I'm a Weird Al fan. Mega fan, actually. Um, but they're just spoofing the genre of glam rock. And it's just just so on point in every way. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Denny, are you ready to get into gimmicks or do you have anything else? I'm ready to get into gimmicks, man. I just, again, all I could possibly do is just sit here and quote it and laugh. And uh, that's called stealing go watch this is spinal tap it's yeah we so we funny. left we left a lot of jokes out of our uh out of our discussion so yeah. trust me there's plenty of for you guys to watch um last week we for friday the 13th we hope you liked that episode we did introduce a new gimmick for uh favorite kill i kind of wanted to do something similar every week for our favorite blank favorite thing that fits with the theme so denny I texted it to you before. I hope you remember to keep track. I did. What was your what was your favorite song from this movie? You know, it was a heavy debate, but I'm going to go with Sex Farm because it was yeah. so fucking funny that they like start innuendo <laughs> they start doing innuendos with uh I'm going to like poke you with my pitchfork and then they're like bother in your livestock. Like <laughs> <laughs> they just get into farming. Yeah, I I've, I've got I've got to go with Sex Farm. What about you? Uh, I'm just going to read the lyrics here. 
Stop wasting my time. You know what I want. You know what I need. Or maybe you don't. Do I have to come right flat out and tell you everything? Give me some money. Give me some money. <laughs> From the song. Give me some money. We didn't even get into their 50s past. Like, <laughs> so fucking... That's one of the best songs in the movie. And <laughs> Cups and Cakes was so <laughs> So good. Watch it for yourselves, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, man. Uh, uh, favorite line, Denny? Do you have one? So, one of my notes was how the fuck am I supposed to pick a favorite line? Because by the time I start typing, they've already said a line I liked more than what I was typing. That's how fast the lines come in. Um, in true mockumentary style, like people are just talking over each other. So, like, someone says a hilarious joke and someone else is, like, talking about something else. You're like, wait, no, that was hilarious. Go back. But it's, like, yeah. realistic conversation. Yeah, go ahead. Can, uh, it's really hard to pick one. Um, I'm going to go with the one. It's not necessarily the funniest for me to say now, but it's mm -hmm. one of the things that made me laugh the hardest with their delivery. I wrote down like 20 lines and I'm honestly just kind of picking this one out of the hat but I remember laughing really hard at it's tragic really he exploded on stage <laughs> <laughs> when he delivered that with utter seriousness <laughs> and it's it's definitely not even the funniest line as a one-liner but in the context I laughed so hard um, honestly there's probably like 80 better lines than that at a certain point, you just got to close your eyes and point. What about you, Greg? Uh, mine also has to do with the drummer's death. <clears throat> and <laughs> he choked on somebody's vomit. And my favorite line was, you can't really, you know, we try to get someone to investigate it, but you can't really, like, <laughs> dust for vomit. <laughs> someone else's vomit. <laughs> he choked on someone else's vomit. <laughs> we, uh... we, try to involve, we try to involve Scotland Yard, but you can't really dust for vomit oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, incredible greg what is uh what is your critiker score uh my critic critiker score is a 34 out of 40 not too shabby it's one of my higher ratings on this show for sure yeah um i gave it a 46 out of 50 um, Damn good. I have a couple comedies tied at 46, but I will say there's only one comedy that I've rated higher, and that's Airplane. That's how good this is Spinal Tap is. I think Airplane is probably the best straight comedy I've ever seen, and this mm -hmm. is Spinal Tap is like... Honestly, <laughs> full disclosure, I thought it was tied with Airplane, and I thought they were the only two comedies I'd ranked that high. And I just jumped on my Critiker, and I've actually ranked several comedies at 46. So I actually just bumped Airplane up one. So one, nice. so one could be the best. So Nicely done. <laughs> Airplane's at a 47. This is Spinal Tap is at a 46. There is literally nothing qualifying that other than someone has to be the best, and it's Airplane. So <laughs> that's, that's... You're almost there, Spinal Tap. Dude. Great movie. I, I could have put Spinal Tap at 47 and felt okay about it. I actually... You know what? Just so it's not tied with other lesser comedies. Live Critiker update happening on the oh. show. I am changing its rating to 47. I am officially saying this is Spinal Tap is tied with Airplane. 
for the two best comedies I have ranked on Critiker. All right, uh, you ready? We're back. I got my recording going. Drinking a Tango Charlie. All right, everybody. Seamless edit from the top. Seamless Denny, edit. I don't have time for alternates right now. What? This is core only podcast members. What? This is my part. Denny, are you a fucking statue? Get off the couch. Uh, okay. Do you guys hear drumming? What is that drumming? It is your number one chair. That's the thing in music. Number one chair person coming in on the drums. Bow, 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 bow. And the horns. Thank you. Thank you. We have a new core podcast member. It is wife of the show, Vanessa Taylor. I prefer I'm producer. wife. Producer and savior of the show is what we've been calling her. Producer and savior of the show, yeah. Vanessa Taylor. Welcome, welcome. Hello. Um, well, that was a good chat about Spinal Tap. Uh, we're going to slow things down a notch. Mm. I'll make Jenny, sure what to, are we talking about today? I'll make sure to turn her fucking pages. Um, <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Despite the whiplash bit, uh, we are going to talk about High Fidelity right now, which was chosen by friend of the show, Don Denham. And, uh, Thank you, Don. We, yeah... We, no, thank you, Don. <laughs> this is why we brought Vanessa on for so this segment because uh, we we need a woman's perspective. Um, I mean, honestly, I think Don is fine. I don't really know him, but Don rules. The movie fucking blows. Well, before before we get into that this, movie. I feel like we need to lead with this. Don, uh, I, I texted Don while I was watching this, and I was like, "Hey, man," because first of all, I actually thought, based on having seen High Fidelity before. I was like, this might be the best trio of movies we have ever done for an episode on this show. Like, mm -hmm. I was like, this and is... I, go ahead. I I thought I had thought so, too. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, I texted Don while I was watching it, and I was like, hey, man, when's the last time you saw High Fidelity? Because uh, it is hitting me <laughs> differently as an adult. And he was like, oh, really? I just read the book recently. That's why I recommended it. Um, let me go watch it right now. So Don watched it. Um, and he texted me this, and I thought it summarized my thoughts better than I could ever express. And, and it's, a, it's a lot. It's like a, yeah. looking at it right now, it's like a whole narrative. Yeah, he, he gave me permission to read it verbatim on the air, um, <laughs> and also give his apology recommendations to, to listeners. So I'll start, this is a text from friend of the show, Don Denham, who uh, I believe has a maths podcast. I would plug it. Um, but Don, Don's a musician. Don's a very talented musician. I've been listening to Don's music since I was in high school. Um, even when I was in high school, I thought most bands that were in high school sucked. Um, <laughs> you know, like, and uh, I listened to Don's band, Gym Class Dropouts, and I bought their album and I listened to it all the time and I loved it. Don is a very talented musician. These are his thoughts. Um, Dude, upon rewatch, I realize how much of this movie treats music like the wallpaper less than the actual plot. I think I really enjoyed this when I was a teenager that was looking for anything to connect to. So an angsty, music-loving, insecure, obsessive record store owner makes sense why this hit a chord with me. Forgive the pun. With Formidable Dawn. As an adult, I see a delusional man-baby Gen Xer that doesn't really seem to enjoy music, but uses it as a crutch of his personality, much like his clothing choices. Also, his absolutely detached and selfish interactions with women are abhorrent. Like, they don't matter to him unless they serve him in one way or another, mm. be it for sex or for conversation. 
The only saving grace is that he actually prioritizes his significant other over the hot music columnist and begins making a mixtape for his girlfriend, actually caring about what she likes. I'd love to talk about the book with you sometime, the key differences, and it's probably why I had such positive memory of this otherwise shallow film. To make up for the weirdly musicless movie, Once or Old Town Murder Songs are movies where the music is integral to the experience. This recommendation is remorse at its finest. So, Don has already so, apologized. So Once. Once is fantastic. I've never seen it. It's a, it can be, well, I, it's been a very long time since I've seen it. I want to say like early college and that was a whole different Vanessa. So, um, I found it a bit boring, mm -hmm. but I also like things more and am more critical now. I was a lot more like, I need some explosions mm. back then because, you know, that's what my family likes. Yep. So, um. They're big fans of Maze Runner 3. They are. Shout out to the Murrays who love the Maze Runner. One, two, and uh, three. Real quick, I do want to say uh, Don's podcast is the MFFLs. The MFFLs. You can find their their podcast about the Mavericks. Uh, yeah. Very heartfelt apology. Yeah. If you like Mavericks basketball, listen to their podcast. Hell yeah. And if you like movies about <laughs> some dumb shit, listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, should we do a synopsis now that we've uh, done our, our, our notes app apology? Obligatory. Yeah. Um, sure. Do you want me to do it? Because you did Spinal Tap. Sure. All right. Or should Vanessa do it? Let's let Vanessa do it. Ooh. Vanessa, what is, the, what is the plot of this film? Don't hold How back. How would you Just summarize your heart. And that's the thing. I'm not great at summarizing the plots. I'm more just like good at plot. channeling my feelings about what happened during the film. So right. number one, it should be called High Infidelity. Those are just random things that I kept screaming at Denny an hour after. <laughs> We had Zing. finished. I wrote finished a lot of watching. them down because yeah. they're really um. good. Uh, real quick, I'll summarize the plot sure. so those who haven't seen it know what we're talking about. Because I know you're not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, High Fidelity is a movie with John Cusack, where he talks to the camera about his feelings, his past relationships, his top five breakups. He is a record shop owner where he works with Jack Black and a bald guy. And he talks about music, he talks about relationships, he's certainly a snob with both. Um, Utterly pretentious for no reason. The span of the movie basically covers his most recent breakup and uh, relationship woes with his girlfriend, Laura, and Vanessa, say something. Yeah, no, there's like... There's a lot of other famous people in this film who did way better than John Cusack. Like, yeah. including his own including sister. Including his own sister, who I, I, yeah, I really like. I really like Joan Cusack. Not John Cusack. Joan Cusack. Um, yeah, I, I always enjoy her in different things that she's in. She's got a hell of an accent, and I'm here for it. Um, there were, yeah, Tim Robinson plays the weird... Tom Rob Tim. Tim Robbins. Oh, sorry. Okay. Whatever. I just said it. Maggie was great because I got them confused with the Gyllenhaals. <laughs> so sure. I thought you did. One. I thought you did it on purpose. I didn't. And I, was I didn't. <laughs> I thought that was a bit, and I was. <laughs> I didn't. I thought it was a bit too. It would have been a great bit, but it's, no. Uh... I was giving him the middle finger on the camera <laughs> for those at home. Um, 
No, but there's there's plenty of better people than Jonathan. Anyway, it just, the whole time, I mean, he's just, like, this piece of shit narcissist who, like, only cares about himself. And, I'm, and when I say narcissist, I don't mean it in the, like, hip, fab way. Like, I could have pulled out the DSM and he would have met all of the criteria. Like, it, we could diagnose this person unethically, of course. But based well, off of the criteria for the DSM, also he's, he's a up. fake character. Yeah, so you, can, you can ethically diagnose made-up people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we could 100% <laughs> diagnose him with NPD. Um, guy has a strong, literally, I mean, one of your first cues is that his biggest heartbreak of all time was this girl that he dated for, quote, six hours when he was 12? 12 years old? I want to say 14. I want to say he either, was in middle school. Way. Anyway, it doesn't matter. whatever. It doesn't he was matter. an actual child. And then he's mad at her because she married his, like, the next guy that she macked on after they made out for six hours or something like that. Um, Two hours each over the span of three days. Thank you. Thank you for that correction. I don't give a uh, shit. Um, <laughs> uh, nor do uh, I. Yeah, but no, it was just, like, continually, there was nothing to like about him. Nothing. At least in my opinion. I just feel like the entire time I was, like, more and more disgusted at what I was seeing on the show, on on, on the screen, of his portrayal of himself, and also of other people, and the people that he was interacting with. Like, everything was so shallow, and nothing meant anything Except for his girlfriend. Like, she was the only person, his most recent girlfriend. She was the only likable character, but even that, I still 100% feel like she was, like, being manipulated and was a classic, like, manipulation case. Oh, that yeah. she kept going back to him and trying to connect, and he was being an absolute crazy stalker person that should have had a restraining order put against him, mm -hmm. and yet she kind of accepts him back. And then he only still cares about himself. Like, I just. I just, I really hated it. I hated this movie, and I hated his character. To put things in perspective, Vanessa was taking the Texas jurisprudence exam while she was watching this, and she said she liked the jurisprudence exam more. Yeah. And that was dry <laughs> as fuck. It's about laws. It's really about, like, there was about 12 questions about why I'm not allowed to fuck patients and clients as a counselor. So that is more exciting than the film that I was just watching. Yeah. Also, if you're a therapist, Scathing. you should not you should not have sex with your clients. It is bad. It is against the law, and also just generally bad to do. And if even if it weren't against the law, it is still not okay. And if you got this far into your career and found out coincidentally because you were listening to a movie podcast and Vanessa told you, surrender your license. <laughs> just turn it's over yourself for you. In. If you if you didn't know that by now, right? <laughs> you're you're uh, you're pretty screwed. Yeah. Um, no, man. I thought. John Cusack's character in this movie was an absolute sociopath. Um, yes. I thought he made Fletcher from Whiplash look like an amateur because Cusack was much more subtle. Um, he was Ooh. keeping women in the cycle of abuse. Um, a woman is basically telling him that she felt that she was basically raped because of, because of him. And uh, he broke up with her because she wouldn't have sex with him. And she basically attributes her rape to that. And he was right. like, oh, but how is this, this about is so me? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> he literally did the dentist system from Always Sunny with Marie DeSalle. And also that whole arc was completely pointless. It was just so he could fuck the manic pixie dream girl. Like this was neck beard shit. Yes. 
yeah unbelievably well so. and even the girl that like essentially was saying like i i i was raped because of this or it wasn't it wasn't technically rape but i definitely didn't want it which is rape um she like the whole his his afterthought when he turns to the camera and says oh my gosh she's right i dumped her not the other way around like takes nothing into account of this like cry for help that this woman had as she is leaving their encounter and says man i feel so much better because i actually was the one who dumped her not the other way around no there's there's narcissistic tendencies and then there's like a diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder and this is more textbook than anything i've ever seen yeah even to the point of like uh people with npd will sabotage events that aren't focused on them and make them about themselves he did that at his ex's dad's funeral yes he made that about him oh um, that was rough. oh so rough and it's seen as it's it's presented as like a cool moment too that was the weirdest thing right like that all of this is supposed to be cool like yeah Honestly, there, like... was it, though? Like, I couldn't figure out the tone of this movie the whole time. And, and maybe it's because we're watching it in 2021 versus 2000. Right. But, like, it, I just felt like the tone was all over the place. Yeah. Well, I think the tone was this, and it failed. I think what they went for, and I have some notes on some changes that could have made it work a little bit better. We, like, these three people that we hang out with, John Cusack, Jack Black, and the bald guy are basically, like, miserable bastards working at a record store. Mm -hmm. And they're supposed to, like, playfully jab at them, um, or at least mock them, but we're also still supposed to, like, admire them in some way. Um, and I think there's a few things that could have made that work. First of all, for those of y'all who don't know the name, Alex Desert, um, he plays Mr. Turner's best friend on Boy Meets World, and he is also in notable ska band Hepcat, and he's freaking awesome. And he did, you know, just a lot of roles and just a lot of bit parts and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I love him. I think he's the shit. He's basically the one guy who jumps in and, like, calls them assholes uh, for, like, thinking they know more than everyone and looking down on everyone. I was like, first of all, he should have been with them all the time to make fun of them. Yes. That would have made the movie more endearing to, like, have, a, have one... Yeah good dude in the mix who's like oh fuck you miserable bastards mm -hmm. um his dynamic with them in that scene like made it just made that whole thing more enjoyable exactly he should have been in every wait. scene he should have wait an entire hour or something like that to and it only happened scene. once i One kept time. waiting for like him to show up again first of all because i love the performer i forgot about him yeah no he, he's awesome it should have happened always my other note of how to make this work is this like narcissistic protagonist role i think like in their prime a bill murray or a chevy chase could have pulled it off sure but they're they're really good at being total assholes who are also kind of endearing and you've got to love them a little bit john cusack was not the guy for this um i know he like wrote and produced it or whatever but uh i just think that like you really need Bill Murray or Chevy Chase, who in real life, more Chevy than Bill, are actually assholes, uh, but are also very funny. <laughs> um, actually, Bill Murray seems like a wonderful dude, to be honest, but Chevy Chase, everything I've heard about him is he's kind of an asshole for real. Love both performers, love their work. I think 
if you tweaked it and had someone like that playing the protagonist, it would have been a little more on the nose what an asshole he is. Sure. But I also think, like, the difference between the type of characters that both Chevy Chase and Bill Murray play is that they can be insensitive assholes, but you also have them, like, save a kitten, right? Like, you have this moment right. of connection with them that we never got with John Cusack's character. No. Like, we never had any sort of, like, emotional resonance, any sort of connection with him that wasn't, that didn't fall flat. I feel like they tried, but every single time it had this just lilt of gross ickiness underneath it. Yeah. That, like... I feel like... I feel like it's just assumed we're going to be on his side from the jump. Yeah. And that we're just, we're just really not. No. Well, and when I was like a 17-year-old sad boy with no perspective on life and completely obsessed with myself, I related to him a lot more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's, you have to grow up and realize your brain finishes developing and there's other people and you're not the protagonist of reality um and sure. you're responsible for your actions and man i've seen this movie twice i remember really liking it both times when i was much younger i thought it was fucking insufferable this time around especially because like dude it's not just like the protagonist is a douche like the record store guys they're douches whatever you can be a douche it's not the worst offense in the world mm-hmm. if you have a few redeeming qualities john cusack is like stalking his ex-girlfriend and policing her sex life it's not okay what while sleeping with somebody else yeah, yes it's not okay like yeah. it's like that's way past douche that is full-on abusive behavior when like when Dude. he finally goes into the things that he has done wrong in this relationship it is a long list of like it's it's done in this like slapstick like let me give you all these different scenarios that could have happened, and then it keeps cutting back to the main thing, and then he's like, ha ha ha, yeah, they all happened. Yeah, I'm an actual piece of human shit garbage. Like all of those things happened, but it's totally fine. It's like not a big deal at all. Yep. What the what the fuck was I supposed Dude. to relate to about him? Like what the fuck was I supposed Dude. to root for? Greg, sorry, we're we're, me, we're bantering. Me. No, you're good. Uh, me, you, and Don, who recommended this, all had the same thing to say. Like, all three of us watched this movie much as much, much younger men. And we're just... Like, my Critiker score had to change because of watching it most recently. I've only seen it twice. Once 10 or 11 years ago, mm-hmm. and once now. And Don said the same thing. Upon re-watching it as an adult, he found it to be a pretty shallow film that views women and music in an equally narrow-minded and superficial way. I just personally found it a lot more... Ugh. Masturbatory? Masturbatory is just... The main character... Just extremely creepy, and, like, the way people deal with breakups, every, like, horror story you hear about, like, oh, man, I dumped this guy, and he started doing this and this and this... And it's all the stuff that he's doing in this movie. Yes. It's it's insane. Like, I've gone through rough breakups. Everyone has. Like, it's just stuff that maybe I've done in high school, but not in my 30s. Yes. And not to the extent that he does it. And then as I grew up and got more mature and, like, even with, like, more severe, like, relationship breaks... Never, never gone to these limits of just like 
policing her life and like confronting her head on and just like constantly trying to reignite the conversation and just like here please come back and to feel sorry for me just one more thing feel sorry for me because of this mm -hmm. let me call you real quick so you can feel sorry for me because of this yep. and it's just kind of disgusting yeah well it's you just, don't do those things because you're not abusive exactly that's abusive behavior all of it is just oh yeah just, like wear her down and remind her constantly that he's just right there like he's always gonna still be there he wears down her defenses in such a calculated manner like in enforcing and almost like manifesting these types of scenarios where she will be more and more emotionally vulnerable and keep thinking like like confusing her thinking making her second guess herself all this kind of stuff while presenting himself as the answer every single time ugh it's just gross <laughs> his level of entitlement to sex from women he is horny for is out of control yeah um just full on abuser like I, I, I can't state enough what a fucked up uh, I'll quote one of Vanessa's quotes actually because I was going to say what a fucked up protagonist he is but Vanessa shouted after the movie um <laughs> shouted yeah. yes no I was in another room and she shouted it um that uh John Cusack is a tagonist he is not a protagonist he is not an antagonist he is just a tagonist He's just yeah. a shitty guy that we follow through his shitty journey of awful shit. Tell us yeah. more about being a antagonist. No, I, I think you. like, it, <laughs> I like again, that word. it's the, if he were, it, he was so blah, like he was so milk, white toast bullshit that I couldn't even like, like, yes, I disliked it so much, but it was less like, I, I don't even care about his character. Like, I, I mean, I do at the same time, but I'm like... If we were not talking about this, I would literally never think of it, no. right? Like, a good antagonist keeps me thinking. Like, I can hate them, but I, I love to hate them, right? Yeah. This guy I just mm -hmm. was disgusted with. A good protagonist has some complexity, right? Like, I'm not... I We don't love just, like, the super clean-cut John Cena without any sort of thing when they're shoving him down yes. your throat. We like John Cena with a little edge. Like we're getting right now. Like we're getting right now. Cool exactly. <laughs> Yeah, but, like, that is the thing. Like, we, we want some complexity to our characters, and there was no complexity to him. It was all just, like, this fabricated idea of what complexity was if you put it on just one sheet of paper and pass it around the room. There's no 3D is, to it. It's yeah. all 2D on one flat surface, white notebook paper written in gray pencil, the end. Which is insane because he talks to the camera 30% of the time. Right? Yeah. Like, so, huh? <laughs> you have the opportunity for such depth and like emotional connection. And it's just like non-existent, really. I mean, he, oh, man. He has, Vanessa's killing it, man. Oh, she's going to kill it more. We're not even halfway through Vanessa's <laughs> thoughts that I wrote down that well, I'm going like, to cue her with. I didn't even think about that, Greg. Like, we see into his inner fucking thoughts. We are not just... We are not just a passive participant in this movie. He talks to us. He breaks the fourth wall consistently and talks to us as the audience to try to be like, hey, I know that that looks bad, but like, here's my actual perspective on it. And it still is just, it's just shit. Like, it's just still bad and there's no redeeming <laughs> it's qualities. It's a bad perspective. It's not even a perspective. It's like, again, they were like, let's get 12-year-old boys 
who hate women but really want them to write this script and then have a full-grown man act it out in front of them and then try to explain what's happening. But again, it's written from a 14-year-old, so it's a little bit deeper, but still not very deep. It reminds me of... Uh... I was in a really good uh, advanced screenwriting class in college. Uh, I had a professor I really admired named Stuart Kelbin, and it was all boys in the class. There was one girl, and she dropped it on day one. Um, I would have too. Yeah. Um, good for her. What he said halfway through the semester one time after someone read their uh, rom-com dramedy script was he was like, man, I love this class because uh, I get to see what you guys think about women and how wrong it is. <laughs> 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 like um he was like i get to see what like 22 year old idiots think of women um and that's absolutely that. what this script read mm -hmm. like um yes. yeah <clears throat> i mean like on the note of relating to john cusack's character if you switched records with like videos he has my dream job and he hates it what am i supposed to like about this guy who yeah. like is living my dream and hates everything about it and resents everyone who thinks it's cool and wants to participate in it with him. And I'm like, dude, if I like owned a video store and a couple cinephiles just showed up to work for free mm -hmm. and talk about top fives about movies with me all day, I, the podcast might end. Like I wouldn't need it <laughs> <Yeah>. anymore. <laughs> like, it's like, He's in he's in a position to like share his passion mm -hmm. and share his love. Instead he's like hitting strangers over the head with it and it's not fun to even watch. It's just like man, you sure dunked on that random guy that was just trying to ask a simple question. Because that's like, us. The random guy is us when we go into a I'm, store. I'm getting hit. Right? Like he's <laughs> dunking on fucking us. Why would we be like, got him? <laughs> like, got me. Like, I suck. Um, you rule, Mr. Music Man that knows so much. I talk, suck. Like, as our audience, we're still learning his character at that point. Like, we're, we, we, like, exactly what you're saying. We're the ones who are walking into his record store as the audience, and he's saying, fuck you if you don't know everything. Get the fuck out right now, and you're dumb for even asking. Ugh. Like, it's, it, yeah, ten minutes into the film, and we're already told that we're stupid for not knowing everything about this film. Yeah. And it's it's one thing to have one character like that. If it was just Jack, Jack Black's character to kind of be like that, and sure. they're just like, whoa, whoa, let's pull the reins on you a little bit, mm -hmm. and he's the only one like that, that would be a lot more interesting. But when it's the main character and one of the side characters... And even the other side character who's kind of, like, <laughs> snivelly and sympathetic, but also, like, definitely kind of an asshole... Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, he's not much better like, than the rest. We're getting it from three sides, and I didn't ask for it. I was trying to go to a different store. Yeah. yeah, yes. And how about that jumbled mess of a third act where they just, like, start a new fucking story arc in the middle of the fucking end of the movie? Jesus, what a shit show. Elaborate. I actually kind of forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I made a note and I forgot! Well, I, I think... I think it starts with Laura's dad's up. funeral, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's it's the, yeah. He goes through this whole, um, it's like the movie's all about getting back with Laura. Um, and then... But it kind of wasn't. But then it dude, super was. It's nothing, and it's stupid, and it sucks. But if there's anything that slightly resembles a protagonist with a goal, it's either get over or get back with Laura... Um, and he hates Ian, even though that man did nothing wrong, and all Ray. he ever did was eat curry. Like, yeah. this, like, sinless he heel. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, then 
they just all of a sudden are like no it's about rekindling your dream of being a dj that we vaguely referenced two acts ago um it's just such horseshit also can we go back to like the weird the couple times where they did those like multiple takes how did that scene actually Thank fucking you. end? Yeah. Thank you. Right? Like, there were all these times where they, like, just beat the shit out of Tim Robbins' character. But then, like, what actually happened? Did he yell at him and he still left? No, no, no. What The only thing that happened is, like, he just, like, chicken shitted his way out. Which, by the way, this is my... Wait, Tim Robbins or who? No, no, no. Fucking John Cusack, our okay. fucking hero, sure. just chicken shitted it out. What? Um, He's a hero. I, I, this is my least favorite storytelling device, is when they show you something crazy and then show you the protagonist was just imagining it. Mm-hmm. It only ever worked Ugh. for me in Superbad. Um, I hate it in every other movie. Yes, dude. It, it, it's <laughs> so great and super that. bad. Um, it also doesn't work four times in a row. That's it would the thing. maybe work once. I was about to give them a pass for it because it was less played out in 2000. Yeah. And then they just repeatedly went to that well. And I was like, Jesus, you fucking lazy fucks. Yeah. Like, fucking commit. Just fucking commit. Yeah. Do something interesting for the love of God. Or like, you gotta stretch that running time to almost two hours for some reason. Fuck, was this a two-hour movie? But they also like they also told us that Roy Ian, whatever the fuck his name is, that he was like a karate guy, right? Like, so why didn't we get a cool ass, like re- hyper realistic, stylized, like karate fight, flying through the air, kicking records, breaking them over his head? Why was that not one of our cool shots? Because that would have been. Amazing! Cheers, cheers. I would have loved that. I had to drink that would have so been really right. Great. I kept discussion. thinking that that was going to happen, <laughs> and yet it never did. And I was like, "Of course it didn't," because this movie sucks ass. Even that would be more exciting if someone all of a sudden just started eating ass. Better movie than what we saw. I'm pro eating ass <laughs> for it. Um, I'd watch. Uh, I'd watch John Cusack eat jack. I'm sorry. I. I'm not sorry. I don't take it back. I want to take it back, but you can't. It's out there now. Does anyone else have any more notes? I have, like, one more thing to say. What else did I shout? I've I've got a couple positives. A couple positives? The Springsteen cameo was awesome. I didn't care about it. I liked it. I'm not a huge Springsteen guy at all, and I was like, oh, man, they got him him to do this. That's pretty cool. I I respect that Bruce Springsteen... uh, It was kind of neat that he was in it. I'll give it that, but... I respect that he's, like, an American music legend. Mm -hmm. I wasn't alive for that. I don't really... I just... I'm not really into his music. I don't hate on him. I don't hate it. It's just... It just didn't do anything for me. If if you're gonna do a cutaway joke for something like that, I think that's the way to go. And I... I I liked it. If you're gonna do it... It was... I'm trying to find some positives, Denny. Let me have this one. Um, I like Jack Black's song. Yeah, yeah. That was fun. Yes. That was a good closer. Yes, a good closer. Um, it was almost my favorite song. Why we'll, was we'll that not that. more throughout the film? No, right? yeah. I think this was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this was Jack Black's first movie. I think sure. so. Or like one of his bigger things. Like his yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure. If it's not his first thing, it's his biggest first it's thing. It's his coming his out first party. Big thing. We'll say yes, that. It's, like, it's first, definitely like, his coming out being a main party. character in this. Yeah. He was in some war movie, I remember. Um, King Kong. Oh, man. Be Kind Rewind. This made Shut me up. like Be Kind Rewind more, even though I think that's a big uh, good is the enemy of great movie. You sure. know, like, I, I think Be Kind Rewind could have been a lot better. Retroactively, 
how much this movie sucked made me like Be Kind Rewind more. It's a masterpiece comparatively. Oh, absolutely. It's a ma- just for Jack Black's Ghostbusters song. Yeah. Dude, seeing Jack Black with Joan Cusack just made me wish that don't, <laughs> that we had been suggested a School of Rock instead. Right? Oh. I actually thought the same thing. I was I like, why are we not watching School it. of Rock? Yeah. <laughs> I almost chose it. Um, I would like to list the movies that I should have chosen that would have been better than this. <laughs> um, School of Rock, Inside Lewin Davis. Um, oh, that thing you do and almost famous which both weren't my picks because of their runtime and uh i didn't choose inside lewin davis because i thought when greg chose whiplash we kind of needed a little change of pace you know oh i'll throw in yeah. walk hard too don almost chose walk hard mm, that's a good one. Oh, i had a yeah. thought too i'm going back a bit um because i also thought of another really famous per like actually really famous person who was in this film Catherine zeta jones mm-hmm. very famous in this movie and i feel like again we had such an interesting moment to be able to connect with John Cusack's character when he dislikes all of the things about her, like, her vapidness and things like that. I mean, it was just, like, a fucking mirror to who he was, and he dislikes it because it's not him. He's not the center of attention at this party, and he dislikes all of the characteristics about her that he exhibits everywhere else in his life. And I feel like that would have been such a beautiful moment of his, like, him getting some insight of, like, wow, I wonder what it's like to be my friend because I Mm. really hate these things. Like, that that could have turned this movie around so much and led into this really, like, wonderful growth moment for him and going back to his girlfriend to be like, wow, I've been horrible. And this was, Mm. like, I can see all these ways because hanging out with some of my ex-girlfriends or whatever, ex-partners that I've been with before i kind of went on this tour and learned something about myself and now i'm coming back i want to be better i get it if you don't want to be with me or maybe that's just too idealistic whatever it's the it's 2000 they were going to get back together anyway but like um (laughs) that's right but still like i just i feel like there was such a moment for this opportunity for growth that we just never got to i have growth blue balls from this movie it's the dumbest thing when they're like (laughs) when they're like he grew, he made, he didn't cheat on his girlfriend, and he made a mixtape for her. First of all, not admirable. Baseline, like... If, You've reached the bare minimum yeah. and you're 33 years Way old. Way to go, you sack of shit. Second of all, I guarantee from what we know about this character, that is like a fleeting moment that is going to last for like a week. And he's oh, yeah. going to like move on to like some other like girl who thinks he's a god that wants to interview him so and, but, this was the difference between what like the way that you felt about the ending versus how i felt about the ending i i really and and maybe i just wasn't paying very close attention so i think I, that's what it is okay that's fine you were taking a very uh, well not an extremely serious but you were taking an exam i was taking an exam but i still got all of this while i was taking this exam so but like i feel like his making that like his moment of making that mixtape for her 100% alluded to this idea that, like, I'm making a mixtape of this moment in time because it will not last. It is as fleeting Ooh, as a that's song That's not what is. you said. That's not, that's a take I'm down with. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm. I like that. Yeah, that's not what I, 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 I that's not what I was disagreeing like, with. Over it no, with. that's, I hadn't that's good it shit. That's yeah, good but shit. I, I really think that it was like, like, that was the vibe that I got from him of like, so I'm going to do something that she cares about that shows that I care about her. Because again, what, 18 songs on a mixtape? Mm-hmm. That's about as long as she's got. And that's as much as he's going to give her. 
that fits way more. What you said what that I was disagreeing with was uh, you said that he was making it for the columnist girl. Or no, he was making her a breakup mixtape. He was making his fiance a breakup mixtape. Oh, That's yeah. what you said right when we finished watching. I was like, no, he said it's like because she likes it. But this is a take I'm down with. Yeah. That is that's yeah. good shit. Thanks. And I think it's intended or not, it is more true to the situation. <laughs> you know, like yeah, that's what's going to happen with sure. this character. Um, there, there is like one little difference, though. Um, he does give that whole speech at whatever the restaurant and that offers a little bit more of a glimmer of hope than some fucking mixtape is when he's talking about like every (coughs) every girl is a fantasy and you fantasize about this and what i'm starting to realize is that every woman is eventually the fantasy dies no matter who you're with so i'm starting to want to stay with someone that you know I realize the fantasy is over, but I'm not chasing that anymore. And again, like you're saying, I buy that for a few weeks, but I don't know how long he's going to commit See, to that based on every other piece of evidence of his character. That was a lesson I needed to learn when I was 17, and I'm not a sack of shit, so I did learn it. He is in his 30s, and if he hasn't learned it by now, I don't think he's going to figure it out, brother. He, he's <laughs> he's talking he's talking it out in that scene like he just figured it out five minutes ago, and he's trying to talk through the realization to kind of finalize it in his head. Yeah. So it it might not be completely settled in. Well, and that's that's again to go back to being a narcissist. <laughs> they do this shit sometimes where they have like moments of clarity and repair, and um, you know, like the most textbook thing is that his mom says they all like you till they move in with you then they break up with you that's a narcissist mm-hmm. they maintain their mm-hmm. image then you actually one of my... with them and you're like what a fucking sack of shit i can't do this one of my notes is wow mom is super useless <laughs> <laughs> mama tried <laughs> famous tattoo <laughs> mama tried uh, that's a famous uh, song vanessa do you remember this quote i'm gonna cue you up you said this right after you watched it Oh, yeah. Yeah, I said, if John Cusack is our everyman, then I don't want any man. Damn. Yeah. I took that personally. (laughs) (laughs) No, but really, like, that was, I was like, God, if that is, if that is who our everyman protagonist is, then, yeah, I don't, call me off dating. I mean, I'm not anymore because I'm married, but, like, you know. (laughs) are you john cusack in this movie are you gonna shoot on me while i'm pregnant (laughs) well i didn't know she was pregnant i'm blaming you for the abortion i want you to know that (laughs) i can't get pregnant don't be sad (laughs) i do not have what scientists call the fallopian tubes (laughs) it's also not where you hold a baby you, you hold a baby in your takes? arms. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I was quoting Santino Morello, the wrestler. Yeah. I do not wrestle people who have the fallopian tubes. Mm. Matt Lancaster, friend of the show, if you're listening, thank you for laughing. Uh, no one else will. Greg, you, you went through a phase <laughs> where you did that a lot. That's a joke just for Matt and for anyone who watched uh, 2008 WWE. Nice. The majority of, our, nice. of our listeners, of course. Yeah. Um... 
I wanted to throw out a, a horrible thought I had. If the listicle trend continues, all movies will be like this in ten years. Ugh. <laughs> it's just going to be this format. No. And this is coming from someone who loves top fives. Um, Vanessa, you're looking at my notes. I was just going to see if I... I have your favorite line that I think is hilarious. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll save that. For, we'll save it for favorite yeah, lines. Yeah, for favorite lines. We'll save it. Greg, mm-hmm. do, you want to do, fav- do you want to do favorite songs? Because um, yeah. I'm... Oh, my last note is uh, this being a breakup movie just made me want to watch Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah, a fucking ass breakup movie done right. Also, a musical. Kinda. I mean, well, not a musical. There is music, there is music, but but it's not not a a musical. God damn it, we fucked up. Jesus Christ, that would have been so much better. I fucking love that movie. We'll do a a part two. Yeah, we will redeem ourselves. All three of us talking right now are huge forgetting sarah marshall fans it's Gigantic. gonna find its way into that is this spot like that is true. I, I, we'll, we'll shoehorn it yeah. we'll do movies we almost, for when you need to forget sarah marshall we almost <laughs> went to that resort like i almost booked that resort for our honeymoon yeah. because we love Just that movie, love so movie so much you could have got the capula suite I know. no that's for like uh dakota fanning yeah <laughs> and oprah and oprah, or oprah. Yeah, there we go, yeah. <laughs> Dakota Fanning takes it. Oprah and her people usually take it. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. Before we do favorite songs, uh, Vanessa, can you get a little closer to the microphone? Yes. All right. A little further away? Yes. Oh. Right, a little closer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's saying that. <laughs> All right, Jenny, what's your uh, favorite song one. in the movie? Uh, my favorite song is uh, Jack Black dancing to Walking on Sunshine. That was magical. 100%. Pretty nice. Yeah. What about you, Greg? Pretty nice. Uh, also Jack Black with uh, the band for about the next 10 minutes, currently known as Barry Jive and the Uptown Five, covering Let's Get It On. I did. Because that song rules. And Jack Black crushed it. I almost, cha- yeah. I almost changed my pick. Oh, no. I'm, I'm with Greg on this one. You're changing it? No, sorry. Yeah, I, you... I didn't. I, I thought we were talking about the Let's Get It On. Oh no, he dances to walking on yeah. sunshine. Yeah, no, I, I remembered that as soon as okay. Greg started talking. I was like, wait, no, we're not. Yeah. I'm I'm with Greg. I think, that was my I think Vanessa Vanessa mentioned the Marvin Gaye cover yeah. oh, early earlier on. Money. And that that was my favorite mm-hmm. song. Honestly, it was money and I almost changed my pick, but you know, just for diversity's sake, unintentionally I'll keep it. Um what are y'all's favorite lines? I know Vanessa's because I wrote it down because it was so funny. Because yeah. she yelled it Ladies out. first, Vanessa. Yeah, my, my favorite line of the movie is, when is it going to stop? And I wholeheartedly <laughs> felt that. Was that sentiment. you saying it? No, that no. was like, oh, okay. that was John Cusack like screaming it. And I was like, a fucking men. When is it going to stop? <laughs> she yelled it out while we were watching be- it. And I thought it was really funny. <laughs> probably 90 minutes after that point yeah sadly. no it was definitely not even in the first half like it was oh. we were not past the midpoint yet i think it was pretty late uh, maybe i, I don't know, know. Uh, but based on my notes i don't remember where it actually was but it's it's at the end of my notes <laughs> okay sure um i don't know though um greg what's your favorite line my favorite line is actually not a line but it's jack black's middle finger that he gives to John Cusack where he shoots his other fingers down. Oh yeah, that the... was a good one. I did like that. I'll 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 call it a line because I I was actively searching for another one I couldn't think of. Uh, <laughs> I just couldn't land on anything. There was only one line that I really liked and it came really really early in the movie 
um, it was, if you really wanted to mess me up, you should have gotten to me earlier. Which I thought was actually like a pretty badass thing to say to someone who was leaving you. Um, that was that was a cool line. It happened really early in the movie. Um, yeah. All right, critic or scores? Zero out of zero. Vanessa gave um, it a zero out of zero. I, I, I was just her kidding. highest it's and so lowest 100%. possible grade. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent and zero percent. That's how much I hated it. It doesn't even get a score. No, I, I don't know what it's a. I, I don't do Critiker, but I would say. I'd probably do like a for being a movie it gets a two i'll give it a 2.1 out of 10 damn okay yeah fair. if if you made Harsh, a movie <laughs> you get a two good on you they did competently make a film yes um i i gave it a uh i gave it a 16 out of 40 which is a four out of 10 nice. I gave it a 22 out of 50, which I've got to assume was close. Um, you know, for me, it's a, a t- if you're a coherent movie, you get a 10 no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a little more than coherent. You know, I, I got it. Like, honestly, it's just, I look, basically the way I rank things is I look at the other movies and I, and like, honestly, basically like anything I rank lower than a 20 is like, what the fuck was this like grainy camera footage technically coherent sure. movie you know like this is this is i'm i'm generally a fairly easy grader mm-hmm. um this is this is a pretty big slap in the face to high fidelity which is for some reason mm-hmm. a beloved classic um but i personally think it's the reason we have incels so Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> i'm blaming it all on high fidelity Oh, do-do-do, I'm just walking around not expecting a seamless edit. Oh, this is a whole bit that we always do. Oh, I sure hope no one seamless edits me. Do-do-do-do-do. Not quite my seamless edit. (laughs) That was much better than our first attempt. That was good. I responded to it for real. For some reason, not getting the bit you were doing. Um... Were you seamless editing or were you podcasting? (laughs) I don't know. <laughs> so you do know the I difference. Don't know. <laughs> I wanted to. Sh- my do- go ahead. My my dog's barking now because I'm yelling. <sighs> no, no fucking, more Simmons impressions. Whistleblower, Anton. Hey, Anton. Welcome I back, everybody. You. you think I'm fucking stupid, Anton? Um, <laughs> I wanted to share two special things I'm doing for Whiplash. Two things I've never done on this podcast before. Hit me. I am drinking the finest liquor in my house, which is mm-hmm. Kaloa rum, which Vanessa and I had on our honeymoon on the island of Kauai. And at the time, it was a island exclusive. And randomly, like earlier this year, Specs started carrying it. And we always had a bottle that we would... Uh, drink a little bit of on our anniversary but now i can be a little bit more uh liberal with it and i decided to get the finest drink in my house for whiplash and also i made a lot of notes for this movie and i have put my notes app away i'm just here to i'm just here to chat we don't need them this is one of the first movies i actually didn't have uh, like i hadn't started my rewatch before i already had like three or four lines of notes (laughs) (laughs) so yeah if you heard me or if you remember in the intro um i was talking about how this is my number five movie 
of my top five of Can all time. Can we get the other five, or do you want to save them? Uh, I don't give care. Us, give us your top um, five. Top five. Number one, No Country for Old Men. Number two, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Number three, Alien, the original 1979. Uh, number four, Inglorious Bastards. Ooh. Number five. Yeah. Number five, Whiplash. That number four spot, it's just... It could it could change. I don't it's know. It's good as hell. I love Inglorious Bastards. I'm not I'm not a uh, not knocking the pick honestly at all. It's it's a good it's every a good time, movie. Every, every time I'm like oh, maybe this isn't like prestigious enough, and then I watch it again. I'm like yeah, no, this shit it's rules. it's fucking so. great. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, Whiplash landed at number five. It was kind of a surprise for me. Um, I'll summarize the plot real quick. <sighs> Whiplash is a great movie about. A kid named Andrew Neiman. He is a student in a prestigious jazz college in New York City. Uh, he is a drummer. Trying, he wants to be much like Ash Ketchum. He wants to be the very best, like no one ever was, <laughs> or like Charlie Parker was. Or he, he was a saxophone player. I mean, player. you know, Anyways. Ash Ketchum <laughs> only became that way because Professor Oak threw a pokeball at his head. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he is um, in his path to greatness he is encountered with a professor named Fletcher played by J.K. Simmons who won an Oscar for his role he is seemingly in the way of greatness but he has such a strict teaching style that he wants He's really challenging Neiman like he's never been challenged before. He is pushing him harder than he has ever been pushed in his life. Um, and he's also pushing himself. Will he push him too far? Will he? Will Neiman push himself too far? Yes. Uh, <laughs> by the way, quick piece of advice. Yes, yes, he will. Quick piece of advice. If you haven't seen this movie, this is one of the only times I'm going to tell you to just stop the podcast and it's watch on it stars. come back it's on stars or come over i've i'll watch it with you i've got it on blu-ray just come on it over. it is a do um, not i ab i implore you do not listen to us talk about this movie if you have not seen it you are fucking up right. right now if that is you <laughs> listener the emotion you are fucking up if you want to listen to me and Greg shoot the shit about this movie before you watch it. You are fucking up your life, and I can't imagine this is the only domain you are failing in. Get your shit together. Start by watching Whiplash. Finest liquor in the house he's had. So, I haven't, um... I haven't actually <laughs> sipped that yet. This is all Tango Charlie's and a little, a little bit That's of Nautilus. Right. <laughs> Nicely done. Uh, yeah, it, it's not it's not an issue of spoilers. It's just an issue of the emotional payoff from watching the film start to finish is just so worth it. Um, I'm an anti-trailers person, except when it comes to new Nicolas Cage movies. <laughs> so, another tease. I do not watch trailers. I like going into movies blind. I went to into this movie blind, and I think that just made it all the better for me. So yeah. Welcome back, now that you've seen the movie. <laughs> Thank you for taking the two hours of your day to follow and listen to my recommendation. We're glad to have you back. Um, we know you have benefited from this. Let's get into it. Wow, what a wild ride, huh? 
<laughs> first things first, Denny. How do you know the creator of our theme song, Mr. John Wasson? How do how do you? Know I uh, I went to high school with John Wasson. Uh, we were involved in some extracurricular activities together. Uh, we didn't necessarily hang out on a regular basis, but we know each other and we were buddies and. He reached out to me when we started this podcast and alluded to a need for a theme song. Uh, he went above and beyond and created something that, uh, you know, what, are we 10 weeks into this now? It still blows my mind every time I listen to it that he made something so cool for us, free of charge, out of the goodness of his heart. Um, and I bought him a drink and we just had a really wonderful time hanging out together. And I just think the world of this guy, I think the world of John Wasson. I, I need to meet and hang out with him. We'll have a, we'll have a, um, a shared, a shared beer session together. All three of us, if he's willing, John, so, if you're listening, I don't know if you actually listen to our podcast, but, uh, I, I think he will this yeah. episode. <laughs> he's getting a lot of love. John Wasson, he's the man. What about him? So, what was it last week? Um, our friend, friend of the show, Chris Boyd, was texting us. Major friend of the show. Major friend of the show. BFF of the show, if I Very may. Oh, first ever. First ever BFF of the show until Damn. you know. I would call John Wasson BFF of the show. I mean, it, 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 instant status. Yeah. Instant instant it. status. He's been elevated. Um. Chris Chris was texting us and he said, Hey, is the John Wasson that created your theme song the guy from Whiplash? And we said, No, this guy is, what, 28, 29 years old? He's a, he's a few years younger than us, but not much. Yeah, definitely not old enough to have composed a piece of music in a <laughs> 2014 film. Yeah. Um, uh, like I googled John Wasson composer, and it was a guy. It said he was from the Dallas area. Um, definitely not Denny's friend from high school. Then what did you do, Denny? I texted John, and it was like, <laughs> "You're not going to believe this. I don't know if you're aware of this. Um, the guy who uh, arranged Caravan for Whiplash is actually named John Wasson." Um, wild one of our friends thought it was you because we referenced you on the show and he was like oh i did know that actually crazy thing i arranged a meet and greet for my son with him and he sent us a picture of his son with uh with a a, a dude a little older than the john wasson we know and he was like it's my dad <laughs> literally which, my dad <laughs> which was and this is the craziest thing we had already decided to do whiplash this week yeah. Before we knew any of this. It's it, wild. It today's Thursday. Um we found this out on I think Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. Like yeah. we we had Whiplash booked. We had already made posts. We had made the decision. Yeah. It was already decided and we found out that the son of the man that arranged one of my favorite pieces of music in film period his son created our theme song for our podcast, and we had no idea. Yeah. We blew, blew had zero clue. And I also, I already texted John this, but I want to say it on the air. Maybe it's just weird, uh, weird having the same name as my dad stuff coming up for me. But uh, hey, John, 
I think it's cooler knowing you. I just want that to be known. You're your own man, and you're the shit. You need to hear that. I need to hear that. I just went to <laughs> therapy before this. <laughs> so now this this single family has created one of my favorite, or helped to create one of my favorite music moments in film history and my single favorite music moment in film podcast history. Hell yeah. <laughs> so hell yeah. John Watson Jr. and Sr. BFFs of the show. BFFs of the show. <sighs> I, I, also, the delivery of the, blew my mind. My son got to have a meet and greet with him. That was the Top funniest. Tier. <laughs> Top tier, John Owen Watson. That was amazing. Amazing delivery. That was excellent. Yeah. Um, no, that blew my mind. I could not believe it because uh, I've actually only seen Whiplash once before, and it was with Greg. Um, mm -hmm. It's uh, every oh, year. Yeah. Vanessa and I make a uh, we make a list of movies to watch throughout the year. And we'll make like one other New Year's resolution, and that year it was to hang out with Greg more. Um, and we actually had different colored check marks for movies we watched with Greg on our list that we put on our wall. I was so was one of those movies. I was so excited that a that you had set aside one of your New Year's resolutions was to spend more time with me, and b yeah. that one of the movies on your list was Whiplash. I'm like, we're <laughs> doing it that's a layup i mean th this is the man who made me come to his apartment because he had surround sound to watch country with old men he was like you can't watch this any other way you no to, no country for old men experience oh sorry excuse me no country for old men um, no country bears for old men <laughs> country for old men is just uh america anyway it's run by old scared white people. He uses a cattle prod to execute his victims? Fred, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones playing across from animatronic bears would be great. I mean... But that's another podcast. <laughs> Alright, uh, so you've seen Whiplash one time. Uh, I've seen it maybe... I think six times, and this was my seventh time, I decided to mix it up a little and actually watch it with uh, director commentary Ooh. for the first time. So the commentary for this was the director, Damien Chazelle, and J.K. Simmons. And Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it, it was pretty great. Uh, J.K. Simmons is a hilarious guy. But um, Miles Clearly. Teller was also supposed to be there, and they just... They're like apparently like he was supposed to also do the commentary with him maybe semi-seriously but they're like well it's 11 a.m you know him he's probably hung over just laying face first in a pool of his own dried vomit and they just they did that joke like 12 times and it was always funny like they're maybe just he, like uh, humans he got discouraged <laughs> maybe he got discouraged to do commentary he could have been great uh, see, the real commentators wouldn't have been discouraged. Yeah, he's just like... Well, now that he's not here, we can talk about what a piece of shit he is. <laughs> <laughs> it was super cool. It, 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 sh it shined a light on a lot of stuff that I didn't actually know about the movie. Um, it was a lot of fun. And now that everybody's listened to my advice and seen the movie before listening to this segment of the podcast... We're revoking your friend of the show status if you have 
not seen this movie. No, no, no. People can cheat. Brandon Harris is a spoiler fiend. He will definitely listen and watch later. Ugh, I don't understand why he is the way he is, if that's the case. Me neither, but I love him. Alright, fine. Uh, this was originally a... Well, it started out with a screenplay, and they needed to sell the movie, so it was a short film, a kind of a proof-of-concept film, mm-hmm. um, where the part of Andrew Neiman was played by the the same guy that plays drums. He's like the core drummer in the upper band that, gets, that Neiman takes his seat. That actor was kind of the... He was kind of playing Neiman's part in okay. the experimental film it was a completely different room it's still jk simmons um yeah i just thought that was interesting all of the actors that you see that are part of the band are professional musicians uh miles teller has been playing drums since he was like 15 or so they kind of had to retrain him on how he grips his sticks and that kind of thing he eventually got it down um the other drummer that i just mentioned he's a professional drummer but also acts and it was kind of his first acting gig everybody else in any band scene or music scene that you see is just a professional musician and maybe a couple of them have done a little bit of acting but nothing too serious so i thought that was a really cool detail about kind of the structure of the film hell yeah that's cool as hell i just now realized did we do a synopsis yes i I summarized the okay yeah we're good I'm, we, we, we had to edit, and I kind of lost track. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not Dude. as seamless as we'd like. <laughs> this, uh, that's a really cool detail, man. I, I, again, I've said before that I think an indicator of a good movie is that somebody had to fight for it. Mm-hmm. It's just like if a studio handed you a bunch of money and said, make the next Ant-Man, versus if you had a concept you believed in and you had to prove yourself... I'm putting my money on the person who had to prove themselves about yeah. their passion project every time. It just never fails. So this was actually... Um, <clears throat> this was originally a script that Damien Chazelle was trying to get Greenland into a movie and it eventually wound up at the hands of Jason Reitman, who produced this. Uh, Jason Reitman is the director of Juno and Up in the Air. Uh-huh. Um and the very first thing he said was your character for Fletcher should be J.K. Simmons. Like, that was the first note he had for him. Um, <clears throat> boy, was that a good idea. Boy, was it. <laughs> <laughs> Goat tier performance from someone who always delivers. Yeah, exactly. Man. Man, I'll tell you this. I've seen two movies ever that I felt like I could just start again as soon as I finished them. One of them is King of Comedy, and the other is Whiplash. And I have honestly been wishing I had the time to watch it again since I watched Whiplash a couple days ago. I'll watch it, it again just, with you. Dude, we're hanging out on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will absolutely watch Whiplash again. I just... One of my, uh, I'm not on my notes app because I'm being organic, but one of the notes I made was like, man, I honestly need to analyze this way more deeply before I even comment on it. And I'm not going to have the time to do it. Yeah. Um, I think uh, 
when the movies for when YouTube channel launches eventually, I have just, I feel like I've got to make a video about just the themes of these characters and how they change. Um, yeah. There is just, I just, I just didn't have the time to dive deep into it. And I just know that there is so much more worth saying that requires a lot more thought than I've given it. And uh, I think, I think you'll get the content eventually. Let me say that. Um, it is just, man, yeah, I'm, I'm a story structure guy. That should be obvious to listeners at this point. Um, this is such a unique story with such unique characters, you know, just in a world where at the end of the day, even movies I love, we can kind of boil them down to mostly the same basic things. I think the way that these two characters that the movie focuses on affect each other is very unique and very special and uh, unreplicated as far as any material I'm aware of. Dude, no kidding, man. Um, their relationship is pretty unique in film. Um, you can tell just like how well they're playing off each other mm-hmm. too, just like... And just real quick at first, like, I was being serious about, like, having to watch this before you listen to this. I'm not going to talk to, I'm not going to speak on points of this movie as if somebody hasn't watched it before. I kind of try to do that sometimes. It's like, I'm going to assume everybody has seen this um, before I get into it. We have begged you to not let us spoil this for you. Our palms are together. We're begging. Yeah, we're both literally, like, doing prayer hand emojis IRL right now. Please do not settle for us. Go watch this movie now. If you have not seen it, this is your final warning. You are robbing yourself of an amazing experience that you will never be able to get back. If you just listen to us talk about it and tell you about it, please go watch Whiplash. Please. My next note is about a, it's another little bit from the commentary and something you'd probably get watching the film yourself is how much Simmons he enjoys um the establishment of Fletcher's character it's his character is established only by showing other people's reactions to his presence however up front he is or he's like behind a closed door but you can tell he's on the other side people's reactions to just his presence is enough to establish his character oh yeah it's awesome i noticed it watching it when uh that opening scene where um i keep wanting to call him miles what's his first name in the movie uh andrew Andrew i'm I'm just gonna be saying neiman because yeah yeah. let's say neiman yeah he keeps Um, calling him neiman in the movie i kind of go with that um that first scene where they don't tell you who he is right like neiman's just drumming Mm -hmm. and fletcher walks in and goes do you know who i am yeah and you know i'm looking for players yeah and neiman's reaction tells you everything you needed to know about what a big fucking deal this is Mm -hmm. they don't they don't tell you who he is dude that's that's what's great too because like in the in the next scene he's at the theater with his dad Mm -hmm. and he just says he saw me play today and he just like or he heard me play today and his dad's like oh how'd it go like he's talked this guy is talked about he's known he's established he's revered he's you know you don't even have to say his name like he's who he's who i want 
he's whose attention I want. He's whose yes. spotlight I want to be on me. As, and as he saw long, me play today. As a lifelong JD, he is Dr. Cox on steroids. <laughs> like, he is just, like, again, I said it a second ago. The word is aura. He has aura about him. Just, like, grandiosity and importance in every way. And it's not self-importance. Even the way that, like, uh, everyone's chatting and hanging out at, uh, at the studio band practice... And then as soon as the door opens and Fletcher's walking in, everyone immediately goes silent and stands up straight and stands at attention like he's there, like they're in the fucking military. Yeah. Like it's, you know, everything you needed to know about him from that. And it is just, just brilliant, brilliantly done. Yeah. Magnificent. Fantastic visual establishment, visual storytelling. Like we don't need to be told the backstory. It just kind of is present through presence um i kind of want to switch back to neiman's character a little bit you're talking about like everybody chatting in the audition room and everything like that i do enjoy neiman's like drive and focus and like through that scene through the scene where he's walking through the dorm he's tuning the rest of the world out Mm -hmm. everyone is not as Maybe in his mind, but definitely evidenced through what we see is he's the most driven person and everyone he walks by, they're just like, you know, talking to girls, talking about meeting girls. And he's just like trying to get to his dorm, trying to focus on practicing the next thing. And he's just tuning out the rest of the world, even though like he has to like physically move past them to get to his dorm room and that kind of thing. What this reminded me of is uh, basically back in 2014 when I was like kind of deciding if I really wanted to pursue being a pro wrestler or not. And I was like, man, you know. Not quite my top rope. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, I was just kind of talking to my roommate at the time. And I was talking about how I was like, man, you know, I spend every day prepping for this i i go to the gym every day i tan every day i shave my body i obsess over eating lean um i drive five hours both ways to san antonio to wrestle i do manual labor setting up and taking down a ring i put up with some kind of hazing stuff and it's all very stressful for me all of that to go wrestle for like seven minutes every two weeks Mm mm-hmm and I was like, I don't know that the 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 benefits outweigh the cost. And what my roommate said to me is he was like, Denny, you know the difference between me and an NBA player? And I was like, What? And he was like, I like basketball. And I was like, What are you talking about? He was like, I like basketball. I would never lose everything for basketball. I just like basketball. An NBA player would sacrifice everything else for basketball. And I would never do that. Yeah. That's the difference between me and someone who plays in the NBA. And also probably some height and a lot of raw talent. Um, <laughs> it was harnessed over years, but he didn't say that part. And that really resonated with me. I was like, that's a good point. I would not lose everything for this. 
I wouldn't do it. And there's lots of people who would. How am I going to hold a candle to them? You know, like that's like kind of just the mm -hmm. buy-in is that you would lose everything. I would not do that. I have other things I want. That resonated with me so strongly watching this movie. Um, you know, like they're so, this is what I loved about Whiplash as someone who does not make music, does not understand music, definitely doesn't have a passion for music, but knew a lot of UNT music majors and saw how hard they worked. I feel like most movies about music are like, it's in your soul. You just got to feel it. And Whiplash <laughs> and basically UNT music majors are like, no, music is a fucking science of precision and you have to get it exactly right. And that's what music at a high level is like. You know, like I was able to relate to that because of seeing mm -hmm. friends really dedicate themselves in those ways and seeing how intense and competitive and stressful it was for them. Whiplash is the only movie I've ever seen that captured that and also captured the, like, you want to do this at the high level? You want to be the best in the world at it? Get ready to lose everything for drums. Mm -hmm. Don't love drums. Don't be passionate about drums. Everything. There is drums and nothing else in your life that is what music at a high the highest level in america is and that's what whiplash showed us and you know what it's not pretty it is not romantic it is not beautiful it is pain suffering sacrifice and a little bit of sociopathy mm -hmm. like it's yeah. like intense man that freaking uh in the movie um in the in the commentary track, they talk about how the breakup scene with um, Neiman's girlfriend, uh, played by Melissa ben ben Benoist, I think is how they pronounce it. Uh, she's a fantastic actress. I had you know, she's in a whole bunch of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. The scene where Neiman breaks up with her is the scene that they used to audition her role, and also the scene that they shot first with her, and. That it just goes to show exa exactly everything that you just talked about. Like he's <laughs> he's awkwardly delivering his speech about how drumming is so important. She's gonna derail it, and <laughs> she, the the shot the scene just like lingers on her face of just like slow realization. Like this guy's really doing this. He's fucking crazy. He's throwing this away for this and uh, she kills yeah. it she kills it in this movie i think she's great in this movie she's amazing and something i thought was going to be a note for me that ended up not being was i thought that uh their initial scenes were a little too meat cute a little too rom-com for the tone of what we were doing and then i realized they were intentionally misleading us into believing that mm -hmm. just just so they could squeeze the life out of it and make <laughs> us watch it die in the most painful brutal way that would never be redeemed in any way <sighs> oh it yeah was... he he tr he tries to redeem it over the phone later but yeah no that's his like last shred of humanity leaving him Basically being like, there was one thing in my life outside of drums that that I kind of cared about, and I'm going to try to have both. And he finds out, nope, that's mm -hmm. not an option. And he's like, cool. 
time to double down. <laughs> That's so, right. Woo! Doggy, is it great? <laughs> he does. <sighs> Man. Where to go next? <laughs> I This is what I love about the movie, is that uh, basically you see some real darkness in the sense that J.K. Simmons is an abuser. Mm -hmm. He's a fucked up guy. I have, really, I have something for that after you're done. Go ahead. Please do. Really fucked up guy with a stupid justification of why he is inflicting psychological abuse on everyone. He finds his perfect match in Neiman. Miles Teller. Um, he finds someone who is ready to absorb all of his abuse into those characters, this is something beautiful. To me, watching at home, this was something dark in the sense that you're basically watching your protagonist reach his goal by being corrupted and not redeemed. He basically just gets fully corrupted, mm -hmm. and that's the way he finally gets what he wanted. I can't really think of any other movie like this and that's the final moment of the movie, which is so good. When he basically, they have become peers. They've become equals in their suffering and in their celebration of the one thing they truly cared about, which I think most of humanity would say that's not what's most important. But to these two characters, it was. And you see this good-ass dad from Aliens and Stranger Things um <laughs> just watch in defeat but still try to be supportive you see something really unhealthy happening like something intensely and extremely unhealthy is happening and as an audience member i could not help but celebrate because mm -hmm. it was just so fucking triumphant even though I knew what I was watching was like darkness overcoming a formerly innocent soul. Um, it's just so badass. And a lesser movie would have had him just make a bitch out of Fletcher. Just be like, I'm better than you and I proved it. The brilliance of Whiplash is he becomes Fletcher. He becomes his peer. He becomes his equal. The yin to his yang. These two opposing forces have finally found each other yeah and it's so good yeah it's well i'll have a lot to say about the finale but it's like he keeps talking about trying to find his charlie parker and in the moment that he finally does it's like you know the final scene is like a win-win for fletcher where he'll either tear down this guy that tanked his career or He'll be proven right that his methods did produce absolute greatness. Ooh, I hadn't thought about that. It's a beautiful thing for Fletcher. It's it's such a fantastic finale. It's like the reason I love this ending so much is because it's such a it's the most satisfying ending to a movie I've ever seen, but it's also like not necessarily a happy ending like it feels good it's so like the presentation is so perfect that you're just like you can't help but feel good about it 
yeah. but then you think about the implications of the characters and where they're going from here and you're just like oh well he's now taken this path that as he has stated himself neiman has stated himself this isn't a positive path for a character to take this isn't a positive path for a person to go down and he's choosing to go down it and he's being successful at it so he's going to be the best he's going to be incredible but he's going to put aside important things in his life including his family yep the people who love and support him so, and like the person the two people his dad and uh what was the name of the actress you mentioned melissa earlier? benoist you're right. The the two people who support him and accept him the way he is. Supergirl. Like, Fuck you. I I know what I need to be and I became it. And like, yeah, no. It's a it's a subtle fuck you to his dad, at least. Yeah. It's dark. Yeah. He walks away from support. Yeah. He walks away from love. And there's this beautiful thing that as a human you can't help but relate to and cheer for is a man achieved his dream and overcame you know, like this, uh, this, uh, opposing Freudian father figure, right? He, he conquered it, but also became it, you know, like, it, yeah. it's just this, oh, <laughs> just this beautiful, it's, it's one of these things where it's like, uh, this is very much like fight club in the sense that if you thought the most interesting character was cool, you misunderstood it. Mm -hmm. However, the most interesting character was really fucking cool. You can't <laughs> deny it. Like, <laughs> you've got you've to pull yourself out of that to really understand the message of the movie. But god damn is Fletcher cool. Like, god damn does he come across cool. And you need to fucking not believe he's, that and be like, that's an abusive fucking psychopath. He's magnetizing to watch and he is... <sighs> absolutely phenomenal on screen um it's something they talked about in the commentary that first scene well yeah we'll, we'll pull off of the um finale of the film um the first scene where neiman actually plays you know he's like okay we're gonna give neiman a shot and whiplash the song whiplash in the movie um we're gonna play at a slower tempo we'll just let him try it out see how he fits in and uh, the director says in the commentary, he's just using that scene. He's just trying to milk the tension. And as he's playing and as he's, you know, kind of screwing up, not quite my tempo, rushing a little bit there, dragging a little bit there. Uh, he references something that you talked about, I think, in our previous episode, the Hitchcock bomb under the table uh, concept where... The bomb's under the table, and as that scene's going, Chazelle says the characters are maybe starting to realize there's a fuse. <laughs> <laughs> it's really awesome. He he milks all of the tension out of that scene, oh. and it just culminates into Fletcher throwing a chair at Neiman's head. Oh. Ah. Oh. Even hey. though he just he saw another kid get laid out verbally, mm -hmm. like not 15 minutes ago. And he's oh. still going in kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do some fun little fills in my song. I'm going to show what I've got. And then yeah. he gets maybe not put in his place, but like 
pushed past his place, pushed into dirt. Yeah. Well, even going into that scene, um, and I have another note on it from memory, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but other than that note, going into that scene, you see a classic abuser tactic where in the hallway, Fletcher shows... Oh, my God. Fletcher shows compassion in a moment of vulnerability. And it's like a strategy for brainwashing someone and essentially making them addicted to you. And then he uses all the information he gathered against Neiman, mm-hmm. um, which is brilliant. And he's acting nice and chill. And then he just throws the fucking chair. Right. Like just uh, like being literally just this walking mind fuck. Right. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, but something else I wanted to note about the tension in that scene is another thing we've talked about on the podcast before is using the title to manipulate the audience's expectations. You could have called this the best drummer. You could have called this the little drummer boy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That was a good joke. That was a good ass joke. (laughs) The little drummer boy. Damn it. He just gets on the stage in the finale and just goes, Purup a pum pum. <laughs> I'll cue you. Purup a pum pum. If, if Honest Trailers hasn't already done that joke, they need to pay us money when they do, because that is brilliant. Um, you completely derailed me. <laughs> the, the title <laughs> of the movie is a lot about the movie. <laughs> the title of the movie um, is Whiplash. It could have been the little drummer. <laughs> it could have been anything, but they called the movie Whiplash. And because of that, when when Fletcher says we're going to do Whiplash, you're like, ooh, ooh, this is important. I'm about to see something important because the movie's called Whiplash. If they didn't call it Whiplash, you wouldn't have started feeling tension as soon as he named the song, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If they called it Caravan, that scene would have been very like, different. Ah, uh, they're just doing another song. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To the point that, like, because, like, Caravan, honestly, ended up being a more important song. Part of me thinks they might have named the movie Whiplash just for that scene. You know, like, it's just, like, it just wouldn't have been the same without the title. And I love that. I think it is honestly one of the easiest tricks to use that people rarely use. And I love seeing it used. It's so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so good, man. <laughs> Little drummer boy. Oh, man. You motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you've done this. can't believe you've done this. I did want to mention real quick. Um, the abusive stuff that Fletcher does. I don't think this movie is glorifying the sexist and homophobic characteristics of Fletcher. No. It's definitely not. I think... He gets fired for being a piece of shit. He gets fired for a couple things, but it's not that stuff. I think he is... Like, when he approaches the girl in the, uh, the ensemble band... And he's like, all right, let's see if you got first chair just because you're cute. And then she fucks up her little riff. And then he's just like, yep, that's what I thought. I feel like he's intentionally getting... Uh, and we we don't know the sexuality of the musicians or the characters or anything like that. Because sure. it, it doesn't really matter. But 
I think he's intentionally getting like straight men into his band to then use that as another manipulation tactic of, hey, if you screw up, I'm going to imply that you're gay in front of your friends, in front of the other people in the band. And that's just like another layer of abuse that he inflicts on these people. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, like some of those lines had the middle schooler in me go, Ooh, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> um, like they were sick burns and extremely homophobic and extremely regressive. But again, if you thought you were supposed to be like, get him, Fletcher, you didn't understand this movie. Yeah. You were supposed to like, I, I, I I'm, I'm fine with inappropriate things being used in art if you are going to properly address them don't use them for cheap shock stuff fuck that but if you are in the proper artistic medium to do that tastefully because people in the world do talk like that and do use those abuse tactics if you are going to make a movie about psychological abuse and degradation I don't have a problem with that being used as long as it is not portrayed in a like this is good light and again, if you thought that was good, you do not understand this movie. You do not understand what you watched. You need to go think more. I'm not going to say they weren't sick burns for the playground, but your prefrontal cortex needs to keep developing and you need to grow and stop doing that. And you never should have done it. If you thought that was okay and portrayed in a positive light and not commented on by the overall structure of the movie, you do not understand this movie. Yeah, Fletcher Durden is not the good guy. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, can I add some levity? Yeah, sure. I'm going to give a mild Midsummer spoiler, so... If you haven't seen Midsummer, skip ahead like uh Greg, have you seen Midsummer? Sure have, yeah. Go ahead. Skip ahead like a minute if you haven't seen Midsummer. Um, my friend Sean, who I don't think listens to the podcast, um <laughs> the scene where they are helping Christian fuck the girl. Mm-hmm. Um and they're all like in a rhythm together, my friend Sean will always go, Not quite my tempo. <laughs> 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 I can't can't see that scene without laughing when they're trying to get his sex on beat and hearing Fletcher go not quite my tempo. Are you rushing or are you dragging? <laughs> are you rushing or are you clapping cheeks? Alright. Let's <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> man. I don't know what else to say other than I love this movie, man. Dude. Um I'll continue. I've got plenty. Please do. Uh, One of my favorite piece, or one of my favorite characters is Neiman's dad. And the the first time I watched this movie, um, it was a great showing of characteristic, or of his character in the first scene in the theater with him, where another dude is, like, walking in the aisle behind them, and he, like, hits Neiman's dad in the head with, like, his hip or, like, bucket of popcorn, I can't remember. And then Neiman's dad apologizes. He's like, oh, sorry. Like, he's in the way. And the dude doesn't say anything. Like, that just... I didn't even notice that. He's like a... It's just like a two-second thing that just shows, like, how anti-confrontational and 
like passive guy that his dad is mm-hmm. and ah uh, that it just really stuck out to me because yep. i would do the same thing <laughs> i was just be like oh i must have screwed up oh, I, sorry man I, I love confrontation and i probably would too, i honestly. hate it oh i love it I, I'm, I'm a confrontational person and if i were in that movie theater i probably would have been like oh my bad for having a head oh like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah i have a head in this seat I would have just like said something like, "Oh, maybe he just didn't see me and didn't yep. notice he hit me," and yep. just carried on. Well, <sighs> I didn't even I didn't even notice that, and it makes me like the the scene with the uh, uh, I guess I presume a lawyer, some sort of advocate legally. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. With him, it makes that mean more to me that he was like, "You're my son. Do you think I would let someone do this to my son and do nothing?" Yeah, um, yeah obviously not a direct quote but that actually really that's a subtext that is added to that that i never noticed that it like really shows his growth that he like hates confrontation but something so inappropriate has happened to someone he cares about that he's like we gotta get the fucking law involved yeah this is not okay everyone's got their like final everyone's got their breaking point yeah and that was definitely it for him. He doesn't care what happens to him, but something like this happened to his son, and yep. yeah, he got the lawyer involved, like you said. Well, I mean, honestly, it's it's usually easier to stick up for someone you love than it is to stick up for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's, I think it's a pretty common human dilemma, you know, like that we'll take more shit than we'll allow the people we love to take while we stand by idly, you know? We, we want to do something about it when it's someone we care about. But for us, we're like, ah, I can handle it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> Man. Man. Are how you... About... Yeah, go ahead. How about that dinner table scene? I was just about to bring that up. That oh, was... Man. Apparently, that was, that was the first scene at all where that they actually shot. Really? Yeah. Damn. I thought it was a little, you know... Maybe it gets a little too quick-witted, a little sorkin but I thought it was, I thought it was, damn, got some zingers in there. Oh, dude, boy, did they ever, and just let me tell you, it's, it's like, so uh, well acted, though, too. As an artsy kid who grew up in a family that only gave a fuck about football, like, I just, how masturbatory was this for me? Like, this was just wish fulfillment. Like, everything I ever wished I ever said at a Thanksgiving dinner in my family. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just so much wish fulfillment. And there's, like... Wish lash. Wish lash. Sorry, whatever. It's it's no Little Drummer Boy, but it's a good (laughs) joke. Um, (laughs) um, It's still a good joke. No, but, like, um, it's at a point when it seems like this change might be positive. That we're like, hey... Neiman's standing up for himself. That's cool. You should get more confidence. Everyone should. That's a cool arc. He's sticking up. He's saying what I do matters. And uh, boy, does it go the other way by the end of the movie. <laughs> but uh, that was like kind of a cool, uh, you know, they get your guard down. They get you rooting for him. And I don't know. I assume this movie was meant for uh, more of the fine arts kids in high school because it's about music. You know, like mm-hmm. it's... Uh, it's definitely not meant for the, the 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 jocks of the world. I would say I'm not saying a jock couldn't enjoy it. I just don't feel like they're the the target art the target audience because they're so openly mocked. I know lots of smart athletes. Don't get me wrong. Don't hear me burying them. Um, 
I'm just saying that was uh, an archetype fighting an archetype, and it was very gratifying as someone who's part of the underdog archetype. It was gratifying to watch. Yeah. Well, I think we said all we need to say about the bulk of the movie. Um, yep. Who stole the folder? I, a lesser movie would have had Fletcher say he did it. Yeah. A lesser movie would have just told us he did it. I think it was Fletcher. It's it's one of the only things I he either did it or got someone to do it. And it's one of the things that's like it's such a pivotal moment in the plot and the story that it's it kind of needs a in my eyes at least it kind of needs a little bit more of an explanation needs a little bit more to it maybe not just like a little clue like a little visual clue yeah. about what possibly could have happened but it just it straight up disappears i think it could have been a lot of things um i don't think it was neiman because simply because of the way they told the story leads us as an audience to believe neiman was surprised by it and was panicked but was also opportunistic you know like i i just the way they told the story makes me think it wasn't Neiman. Um, what do you, what do you think? think it was a janitor? A janitor? No, I don't think <laughs> you it was dumb a fuck. Um, but that's the thing is like this is such a highly competitive environment that you know like honestly I was expecting Fletcher at some point to say I stole the folder to see what you would do, mm -hmm. and he never says it, which I think was great. Um, they I, I liked that they left it open. It could be happenstance. Maybe Neiman for real lost it. Maybe it was a janitor. Maybe it was Fletcher. But I also think there's a lot of option C's of like, this is so competitive. Maybe someone hated the the original drummer so much that he wanted to sabotage him. Yeah. And maybe there's this whole conflict that we don't know anything about because it's not really relevant to the story, that it's very plausible that someone could have done that. And I think that's what's so cool about it. Who do, who do you think took it? Uh, for me, I don't really care. Like, if the film didn't want to tell us, then we're obviously not meant to know, and it's not worth dwelling on. Yeah. That, that's just where I kind of land on stuff like that. Um, yeah, yeah. I, when I first watched it, I had assumed that it was a person in, like, a competing band at this... Oh. Uh, at this competition. C. Yeah could have been a lot of things but yeah like one of the things they said in the commentary was okay so the director was is a drummer mm -hmm. that's his like his inspiration for this movie was his time he was basically like a drummer in the like that second tier band that neiman was part of in the beginning of the movie he was a drummer in that level of band mm -hmm. like he borrowed some of the same terminology of like what they called their like the the uh the ensemble band and that kind of thing like he was part of that and he said these competitions is like you know something we include in the movie was other bands leaving the stage and they'll give like a quick like shoulder check to the other bands that are like waiting to go on stage it's yeah, just yeah. like there's a lot of disdain between those those two groups so i think it could have been you know someone else from a different band happened to be walking by or whatever there could have been a lot of things. I like it best if it was Fletcher, personal opinion. Yeah. Um, because, first of all, Fletcher's response, he seems to have it locked and loaded that he blames the core chair. You know, like, and yeah. that honestly, like, 
doesn't seem to really fit with his mo of degrading the underlings you know like that mm-hmm. it, it it seems kind of intentional um and also like i think we see as the movie goes on that like fletcher keeps saying he likes to win competitions but it's kind of implied that he's been doing that forever he seems kind of bored with it what he really wants is to find yeah and to coach the next great drummer and i think it fits a lot more or musician whoever musician whoever it is he thinks he has it in his drummers yeah 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 um so i think it fits a lot more with fletcher's real goal that he wants to put he wants to see what neiman would do yeah in that situation he's constantly testing him he's taking an interest in him he wants to take him from nothing to everything and be responsible for all of it. You know, yeah. like that's that's what he wants. Yeah, if he's willing um, to bring Johnny Utah in as part of the manipulation tactic, then yeah, definitely he, he wants he wants to claim the credit. He wants to do everything. Um, I like it best if Fletcher took it, and I think it fits if Fletcher took it because it just it just kind of reads to me like he had a plan. That's mm-hmm. just his response. All of it. I think it makes sense if an opposing band member took it. You know, like, I think that all checks out, and Fletcher would have done the exact same thing. Yeah. Because his real interest is not winning the competition. It's seeing if he can if he can find the next all-time great and hoping that that might be Neiman and hoping he can put his fingerprints on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think whoever took it, it all still checks out. And I think you could explain a lot of things, and I just at the end of the day it doesn't really matter who took it because i think you could make a case that fletcher would respond the same because again that's his real goal what he keeps saying is i won't lose competitions i want to be the best in the world yeah i think he's bored with it i think he has always had one real goal which was to he's not the best musician in the world he wanted to coach him yeah maybe he's bored with it maybe it's maybelline so the finale is another great joke i'm not letting that slip thank you man man uh i'll just i'll just go into the finale for a little while um dude his awkward attempts to cheers his awkward attempts to play along with upswinging which he has never heard or seen the music for before and he's just like trying to like he's on stage like trying to drum along with what the band's doing oh that felt so genuine itself it was just so natural of like someone that like doesn't know what's going on but still like wants to seem like they do (laughs) i thought that was so great no it was money and you know in wrestling i always bring things back to wrestling and mental health um a good false finish is something that you think they would believably do Mm -hmm. you know like um Mm -hmm. Anyone go watch uh, Roman Reigns versus Daniel Bryan from Fastlane 2015, and when Bryan hits the small package from a Roman Reigns spear, Reigns kicks out. But you would have bought it because you know that WWE is not just going to have Daniel Bryan kick Roman Reigns' ass and win. He's going to sneak it over. You know, like, and that's a good a good fake out is something that could have logically been the finish in the context. That seems like something the movie could have done is just have him get humiliated and obliterated and finally accept his dad's love. That is what, honestly, most movies ever made have conditioned you to believe will happen. And, weirdly enough, in the long run would have been the happiest ending. Ab, so 
Lutely. Lutely. End of Nathan for you. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, that. But that what does happen, happen? Oh, what 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 does happen is the uh, single best ten minutes oh. of music-based cinema ever put on screen. Yep. Um. So we've gone. We've come full circle. Uh, the song they play at the end is "Caravan," which was arranged by John Wasson Sr. Uh, originally written and performed by Juan Tisol, a Puerto Rican trombone player, and Duke Ellington, whose ghost lives in Nick Kroll's attic. <laughs> I love that show. Big Mouth Rules. Big and mouth uh, <laughs> um, it's the song where Neiman gets into the car wreck, and he's late, and he's flustered, and he's bleeding from the head trying to play the song Caravan at another competition. And that's what leads to his... He tackles J.K. Simmons, cracks a couple of the actor's ribs. Oops. Um, that really happened? Yep. Oh, shit, for real? That's what they said in the commentary, yeah. Cool. So that's his lowest point was playing that song, screwing it up, ultimately leading to his expulsion from uh, the Schaefer Conservatory, which is the school. Um, and then we get, without, you know, he, he maybe that's why he picks the song at the end to interrupt Fletcher. He's, Fletcher sees him come, come back on stage. Fletcher sees him even come back on stage, and he's just like, Okay, whatever. All right, we're gonna slow things down for for you a little bit now. And he just like cuts him off mid sentence, starts playing Caravan. Um, so his lowest point is met with his highest point, and it's f just awesome. It's just like ten minutes of some of the best filming of song playing. And I will say, like, I think a lot of people will criticize like the syncing issue. Like, what you see isn't exactly what's what you're hearing i never noticed that personally <laughs> i never I, notice it <laughs> i notice it more it's it's so hard to nail with drums because like if someone's playing guitar or playing trumpet or something you're just like maybe they're playing that note but on drums you're like they're not hitting that symbol yeah, when yeah, i yeah. heard him hit this symbol and this movie the production was sort of rushed the filming was sort of rushed they had a limited amount of time 19 days 19, 19 days. days insane less than three weeks unbelievable it's literally they recorded all those songs ahead of time and then they now like i said all the actors in bands that you see are real musicians so they're really playing the songs they're really blowing into their instruments they're really strumming their guitars they're really playing their pianos um so that's what makes it sell like 90 percent of the way and then the drums are basically there it's just so hard to sync that up with what you've recorded with what you've got on film I mean, you know, shot in 19 days, but you would basically have to have like, okay, here's one camera angle. We're going to play the entire 10 minute song. Here's another camera angle. We're going to play the 10 minute song from this camera angle. You can't do that in the limited amount of time and budget you have. So you just got to try to work some magic in the editing room, which I think they did. Man, as a dude who like admittedly knows nothing about playing music, doesn't understand the art, couldn't do it to save my life, could have fooled me. 
Yeah. I did not notice. I didn't notice anything. It's it's close enough, and it's not, it's not what it's about. So yeah, this song rules. John Watson Sr. arranged it, and I listened, after we found that out, I listened to it by itself, and it's just like, I tried to listen to it in the context of what the what a person in the audience of that auditory must have felt mm-hmm. um they're seeing just some drummer come back on stage and start doing a thing they're like okay maybe it's just like a little pre-arranged riffing thing they've got going on and he just kind of starts going off the song continues the trombone player uh he gets his solo and i think it's really cool just like a little sidebar here. The the trombone player gets his solo and he's filmed in a similar way to Neiman. Where like for a moment he's got the spotlight. He's got the center of attention. He's really playing those things. Like he plays those thing the the song in the solo live. So incredible player, apparently. And then it just like I try to imagine like absorbing this song from the audience. And then, like, listening to the song, I know the conflict of the two main characters. So I'm just blown away about with how that comes through with the music in the arrangement. John Watson Sr. absolutely freaking killed it. Oh. <sighs> and then, oh. there's, ah. this, there's just such a darkness to me that I love. I've said darkness like 50 times talking about this movie. But there's this moment when when he says, I'll cue you, and you're like, he's surpassed him. Mm -hmm. He's his superior. He has conquered his foe and become the master of the internal and external world. And then you see that they embrace each other. Mm -hmm. And it's just so fucking dark to me. And I love it. That I it's know. Like, you could have transcended this, but that's not what you wanted. You wanted his approval, and you finally got it. And, and then is, some. And then some. You know what I loved? You know what I loved about the cinematography? In the closing moments of the movie, you can see from his cheeks that J.K. Simmons is smiling. Yeah. But they don't show you his smile. Yeah. They make you look at his eyes. Yeah. You could his so fucked up. His eyes are smiling. <laughs> it's it's so awesome. Fucked up. And man, you know what I'm a huge mark for in wrestling terms? I'm a huge mark for a roll credits. A mm-hmm. well timed roll credits. I don't know that I've seen a better one than this, brother brother. It is just when they chose to hit like executive producer, you know, like Mm -hmm. it was, it was perfect. It was the perfect time to hit credits. Perfect. So fucking good. Hey man, this movie rules. All right. It rules. No notes. Like again, (laughs) any, any note that I was gonna give. I was actually supposed to feel that way and they rectified it. You know, like any yeah. time that I thought they were being like a little too rom commy, it was like, no, they were trying to disarm you. 
<laughs> you know, like they were trying to to get your guard down for this dark fucking story and give you something that you're familiar with that you think you know what to expect and then they do not give you what you expect <laughs> and and again i've said before i love the hero's journey i just i just i love it call me call me uninformed call me lowbrow i don't care i love the hero's journey i think we make meaning in that structure for a reason because we inherently relate to it um and this has it but it has a twist on it mm-hmm. um you know it has a real dark seed ingrained in all of it and i've always said if you're going to deviate from the story structure that i understand that i've been conditioned to follow my entire life you better have a good fucking reason or I'm going to hate your movie. This movie had a good fucking reason. Dude, one last note on the uh, finale here. Uh, in the commentary, uh, the director, Damien Chazelle, says, you know, a lot of these scenes and a lot of my films, I say less is more, but for this final scene, more is more. Yes! <laughs> we they made you look at it. Watch it happen. Dude, we say less is more. We've said it a few times on this podcast, but in this case, more was definitely more. All things in moderation, including moderation. There is a time for everything, and that is a smart filmmaker understanding that you need to just watch him make those drums come. (laughs) Like, you needed to watch him sexually satisfy those drums to truly understand the level of greatness he has achieved and what he sacrificed to achieve it. Denny, what's your favorite song in the movie Whiplash? It's Caravan. That's right. It's not just Caravan. It's the final Caravan, the finale Caravan. Dude, uh, Whiplash and Caravan were the only two songs that were not original. Uh, those are existing songs already. Uh, composer named Justin Hurwitz uh, created literally every other piece of music, including like the score for all the character scenes where music's not involved. He created all the music for that. So, wow! Lots of love to Justin Hurwitz, who, yeah, just nailed this. Denny, oh, go ahead. I was about, I was about to say you want me to give my favorite line. No, go ahead. I I know what mine is, but go ahead. There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. Ooh. Um a note I had is that <laughs> most of the lines that got a reaction out of me, I will not repeat on air. That's right. <laughs> I do not feel comfortable saying them because they are in some way homophobic and inappropriate and I'm not going to say them with my own mouth and I think they worked in the context of this movie but in the context of me praising the line I will not say them so I'm going to go with uh, something I'm a homer for after the Division 3 athlete says come play with us (laughs) my favorite line is Four words you will never hear from the NFL. Oh! Cue the super hot fire YouTube video. Swish, baby. 
Oh my god, what a fucking zinger. That's one of the things that it's like, no one in real life is this quick. Yeah. It only happens in movies, and thank God for movies, because that was awesome. It, it's <laughs> it's so awesome. It's that thing you think of three hours later in the shower, like, ah, oh, damn. Right, right, right. And, and, and in the three hours later in the shower, you don't have the opportunity to write a script about it. But... <laughs> <laughs> Someone did. Uh, Denny, what's your critical rating of Whiplash? 50 out of 50, brother. 50 out of 50. Holy I had it, shit. I had it at a 47 on our first watch, and I went back and looked at my critical score, and I was like, I have no idea why. 47 is still incredible. It's incredible. I don't rate a lot of movies that high. Um, it's incredible, and I was like literally what is your reason not to give this the highest marks you could possibly give and i was like i have nothing this was like four years ago when you and i watched it together and i don't remember what was going through my head at that time and i think that shows <laughs> that it was invalid i don't remember i was like why the fuck did i keep this back from top marks maybe i overhyped it when i showed it to you i don't know uh, i don't think so because i i remember loving it loving the shit out of it yeah um I think uh, honestly, I was uh, I was in a very sequestered environment for a number of years, and I was very unconfident in my own ratings. I've watched a fuck ton of movies since then, and uh, I'm gonna say fifty out of fifty. This is a five star movie if there ever was one. I think that's your uh, your first. No, no, you gave The Fly a fifty. That's right. I gave The Fly and uh, Silence of the Lambs is at a fifty too. Oh damn! Three perfect films. Three. Uh... No, that's my thing, though. That's my thing. Three, three, yeah, complete max, 50 max score. 50, 50 doesn't mean perfect. 50 means who gives a fuck if it's not perfect. Okay. It's so damn good that if you want to point out a slight error in this film, I'm going to tell you, shut the fuck up. Don't talk to me. I don't care what you have to say. This is a 50 in my heart, and I know it in my heart of hearts. I don't give a fuck if it's imperfect it's the best it could be for me and that's all i care about very nice i have given zero perfect scores um that's not true you've given one i know what you've given no i've given zero perfect scores on the show what is oh on the show on the show I, on the show yes i know i know the one movie you've given a perfect score for, i've given and one gonna, and it's I'm not, not whiplash it. i'm not gonna spoil it um yeah, this movie for me, though, 39 out of 40, which is a 9.75 out of 10. Anyone who listens to our show knows that Greg is a little bit of a harsher grader than I am in general. And a 39 out of 40. I think that's the highest score you've given on this show. It is yeah. the highest score I've given on this show. I think I gave uh, Silence of the Lambs a 37. That's the next highest. And How Lego Movie with a 36. Hot damn! Hot damn! Two great mills. <laughs> God, that is definitely a, uh, a one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> Whiplash, Silence of the Lambs, and the Lego Movie. But man, 
I think if you go back and listen to our Lego movie episode, I think we made a great case for why that deserves a really high rating. It yeah. is a great fucking movie. We have now done 28 movies, and my top three are Whiplash, Silence of the Lambs, and Lego movie. <laughs> that is such a random list. <laughs> so random. Uh, just so wait. Random. We'll see what happens next week. Um, Greg, what is a... I, I, I think this goes without saying. What is just for for posterity for mm-hmm. formalities? What's the best movie for when you want music but not a musical? School of Rock. Uh, it's probably true, but we didn't do it. It's episode. Whiplash. It's yep. Whiplash. Yep. This is uh, the first time I believe that I'm actually not going with my own pick. I'm breaking a pattern, and I'm gonna say Whiplash. Whiplash is the best movie, and I knew, I knew when you picked it, I was like, yeah, that's the winner. Mm, <laughs> like, there's that's no right. doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. I cheated. No argument against it. I've been trying to talk about this movie since before we even had a podcast. So, <laughs> no, I, I want to say to all listeners, Greg and I really go out of our way to not talk about these movies until we're recording just to to save it for the air Mm -hmm. i think whiplash is the one that we have had the hardest time doing that with and uh greg can you confirm or deny that in the group chat with chris boyd when chris was quoting it fuck you and your country bears um (laughs) that in in the group chat when chris and i were talking about it were you being intentionally silent to save some takes for the air uh no it's because i was at work oh okay (laughs) I, I was at work too, but I, I find little times in between sessions. I have zero time. I'm so busy at work. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. I am too, but I get 10 minutes between every session, and I have to write a note, go to the bathroom, refill my water bottle, and uh, text you and Chris about movies we like. So I, I, I find little moments here and there. <laughs> we need we need those little moments. Yeah, they're special moments. I, I thought <sighs> you were intentionally silent, because I noticed it was just me and Chris talking, and I was like... Greg's got so much to say and he doesn't want to blow it. Yeah, usually with conversations like that too, I'll try not to like jump in the middle of things. But yeah, yeah. anyways. I heard you hate confrontation. <laughs> no, shut up. Who told you that? Stop it. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> what are we doing next week, Denny? You teased it already. Oh, oh, oh Greg, we are having our first, well, our second, because we did a holiday episode. But we are going to do a very very special episode that's right and we 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 always fantasized about our first nicholas cage episode but i don't think we ever fantasized it would be this we are gonna do a one movie episode that we cover in the longest form possible greg and i are gonna watch this together next saturday and we are gonna record immediately after before leah gets home (laughs) it's 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 a pulp fiction third act scenario if bonnie gets home she walks in on some gangsters doing gangster shit. She's going to be none too pleased. Uh, <laughs> we are going to watch the critically acclaimed recent Nicolas Cage film, Pig. 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 We're Not watching be, Pig. We're going to watch a little Peppa Pig just to just to warm us up. <laughs> and a little Charlotte's Web. Some Pig. Mummy, I'm going to take his face off. <laughs> I just can't believe that in that trailer, I think no less than three times, Nicolas Cage says, I just want my pig back. <laughs> and 
I'm seeing it certified fresh with like 98% positive scores. And as someone who started as an ironic Nicolas Cage fan, completely lost track of the joke, and now he's my favorite actor, I am ready for this, Greg. I cannot wait to do our pig episode. Yeah, me neither. It's going to be the first live one. Maybe we'll record video too and put it on YouTube. We'll see. Oh, shit. Uh, friend of the show who did the uh, beautiful artwork. Uh, we shouted him out before. Joseph Cainwright almost had a small part in Pig where he would have, I think, been a bartender either in the background or he he would have been in a scene, but he was like there to do the shoot and then he got called back into, like they said they didn't need him, so he went back to work and they were like, actually, we do need you, So, but then he was already back at work. Sad to say he was not actually in the movie, but he was this close. Honestly. And that's good enough you, for me. We stand you, Joseph. You're one of the men behind the magic, constantly giving us... Uh, free advice and helping us be better at doing this we stand we stand we love you man we love you man yeah um thanks for the audience suggestions we'll do more of these in the future uh you can submit comments if you find us on facebook and look for future posts on the movies for win facebook page just search for movies for win and also follow us on twitter at movies for win we're at 18 followers. I'm posting some dumb memes every once in a while. Wait, we got through the march to 15? That's right. We're almost to I, 20, baby. I, I tweeted today twice. I'm really proud of myself. I'm proud I of you. It. I did it. Sometimes Denny uses the account. He has the password. I talked to one of Greg's friends, and I think they think it was Greg. <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Denny. Throw throw a catchphrase at my head. For Greg work, the leg work Johnson. I'm Denny, the don't give a fuck, don't do any work talent Taylor. <laughs> and this has been movies for win. We already told you win. Pig pig pig, some pig, radiant. Not quite my outro.